Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Today, we're going to be doing our Week 5 analysis um, in everyone's favorite segment, Blow the Whistle. Um, so let's get right into it with the Thursday night stinker where lots of memes and posts have been made about this game. Amazon Prime deserves to give us a month of free Prime because of this game. And we're talking about the Indianapolis Colts at the Denver Broncos. Uh, the game that went to overtime because everyone wanted to see overtime of this game. Uh, 12-9. Uh, Indianapolis ended up beating Denver. This game, Julius, I don't have much to say about this. Um, there's going to be some blowing the whistle on this game. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, I maybe he needs to be a coordinator again because it does not look like head coaching is what he should be doing. Um, Russell Wilson looks awful. I see they came out and says he has a torn shoulder all of a sudden, and he's been playing with it since week four. That doesn't excuse his week one through three performances. Um Indianapolis had no reason winning this game. Their defense did not play better than the Broncos' defense. Uh, Russell Wilson gave them multiple points. Their special team saved a field goal, which would have also won the game, and we wouldn't have gone to overtime. Uh, I really feel for the Broncos' defense because they have been playing stellar. Besides the Raiders' game, I don't think they've given up 20 points in a game. Um that's four games. They haven't given up 20 points, and this team is 2-3. and three. If your offense is doing what it's supposed to be doing, that should be a 5-0 and o team. Just ask the Cowboys. The Cowboys are 4-1, and one, not putting up any points. So, um, I, just, I just feel bad for the Broncos' defense on this one. Um, there's really nothing else to say about this game. Uh, Richard Sherman, I think, was a little too hyped that they did not run the ball. Um, <laughs> kind of blowing the whistle on Richard Sherman here. Calm down. We know you didn't win the Super Bowl. Chill out. Um, but this game was just horrendous. This was just a terrible game to watch. I don't really have much more analysis other than that. Uh, it was not good. Uh, Naeem Hines looked like he got knocked out by Mike Tyson trying to get off the field. Like It was just, it was just a bad game all the way around. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of uh, nice things to say about this game. I will try to find a couple of nice things to say uh the first thing that comes to mind for me is of course i've got a shout out to nc state guy bradley chubb he's starting to come back into his own rounded to his form after being injured for uh, the last few years he's already up to five and a half sacks on a year after getting two sacks in this game uh that puts him three below what he's had over the last three seasons combined so i am happy to see that for him happy that he's getting back and doing his thing so that's one good thing uh, that you can say about this game if you're a fan of defense and if you're a fan of Bradley Chubb. Other than that, it's exactly what you talked about. Uh, this was a battle of two quarterbacks playing horrendous football, two quarterbacks who were brought in to be the solution, to be the guys to stabilize uh, rosters that are expected to do something. Neither one of these quarterbacks showed up in this game. They, they showed up as far as helping the defense accumulate stats, but that's about it. And so that's disappointing to see uh, just all around an odd game. And like you say, you talked about Russell Wilson and the reports all of a sudden that he has a shoulder injury. I'm trying to figure out how 
you can pinpoint when that injury happened if he played a whole game afterwards with that injury. So that, that whole situation is just weird to me. There's certain things about that that I'm just uh, not trusting. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a problem. And you talked about the struggles of the Broncos offense. Those struggles seem like they're going to only get worse uh, without Javante Williams. Again, I don't like to give Tar Heels credit, but you got to give credit where it's due there. Uh, one of the most physical and tone-setting running backs in football, you lose him. Uh, that's going to affect your offense. And so uh, expectations for Denver's offense don't seem to be going up if Wilson is hurt. And like you said, he's not looked the greatest even when he was allegedly healthy. Uh, but if he's going to continue to be hurt, you lose Garrett Bowles. That's unfortunate to see. I talked about him last week with that stupid dive on the fumble six. And I, I kind of mentioned his history uh, with injuries a bit last week. So he gets hurt again. Uh, that doesn't help you. And, you know, it's just hard to look at this Broncos team and see, you know, like I said, you talked about Nathaniel Hackett. Where is the upside for this offense? Uh, Colts are in the same boat. Where is the upside for this offense? Uh you saw them perform without Jonathan Taylor. The fact that they could get a win without Taylor is great. The fact that he scored 12, not so great. The fact that Naheem Hines, another Wolfpack guy, did get knocked out, that was unfortunate to see. And um, they had to fill in that left tackle with uh, Bernard Ryman, who's an older rookie. Uh, so he's, you know, kind of his upside's kind of limited because he did take so long to transition to the league. He had multiple penalties, penalties in this game to hold the offense back. So it just it's not a whole lot of good things to say. I'll highlight Caden Stearns as well because he got a couple of interceptions for the Broncos in this game, playing that most important position of football and safety, filling in for an excellent safety in Justin Simmons. So I'll give him that. Uh, going down to that last interception in the end zone, I still have to wonder why. Why do you challenge Stephon Gilmore? And I know Stephon Gilmore has been hurt and he's kind of disappeared off the radar a bit since he left New England and had that defensive player of the year season. But you're challenging Stephon Gilmore with Tyree Cleveland. I mean, <laughs> this is a team that doesn't use Tyree Cleveland. I, I just don't understand the one time you do it was with the game on the line, essentially, with one of the better corners in football. Makes absolutely no sense. And when you start making decisions like that, you deserve the results you get. So kind of glad the Broncos lost this game because they didn't deserve to win it. Not to say that the Colts did, but I just feel like Denver deserved it even less with some of the nonsense they call. All right, switching it up a little here because I'm a Giants fan. Uh, we have the London game next uh, where the New York football Giants stunned the Green Bay Packers, in my opinion. Um, I don't think anyone had the Giants winning. I don't care that they're 3-1. and one. I've heard that. You can't be a bad 3-1 team. No, this is a bad 3-1 team. They've beat the Panthers, the Bears. So I'm not putting too much stock into these wins. Yes, they beat the Titans, but that was a two-point conversion and missed field goal. So, you know, that could have gone either way. Um, but, again, it, it's a iffy 3-1 at that. Them beating Green Bay definitely has me believing more in this team because of the defense. Uh, and the run game, healthy Saquon, good defense makes me think that this team, they're not going to go 16 and one, but they're not going to go 15 and two, you know, but I believe they could get way more wins than I predicted uh, going into the season. Um, I think this was more about how bad Aaron Rodgers looks this season versus how good the Giants look because the Giants offense did not look good. Um, let's just put it that way. They didn't again for 
the fifth game in a row. This offense really isn't doing much, but they're doing enough to win. The Giants are 4-1 with a 15-point differential. Four wins with a 15-point differential. So, it's that's just crazy to me. Um, again, Aaron Rodgers, 222 passing yards as the leader, which means Daniel Jones didn't pass for that many yards. Saquon led with 70 rushing yards. So, again, this wasn't an offensive output of game. Uh, this was definitely a defensive struggling game. But, again, the Giants did enough to win because at the end of the game, where you're used to seeing Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or the elite quarterbacks make a play, he had two batted balls on third down and fourth down. I feel like that's uncharacteristic of Aaron Rodgers. Um, he missed a lot of throws in this game. Did he have some good throws here and there? Yeah. Did he did he show some of the escapability that has made him such a good quarterback over the years? Yes. But if I'm Green Bay fans, I'm getting worried about the future because you paid this man. Uh, he has won a bunch of MVPs in a row for you, but you have nothing to show for it besides regular season success. And he looks like he is declining again i'm not saying you don't have Devonte adams anymore so everyone anyone has to get that out of their mind there's no more Devonte adams you have to work with what you got and the team seems stubborn to not let aaron jones and aj Dillon just run the ball 30 times a game i don't know why every time aaron jones gets the ball i feel like he's breaking a 10 yard runoff so like you're getting a first down even in the passing game aaron jones is dangerous in the passing game hit him with a swing route hit him with a screen it just seems like they're trying to prove aaron Rodgers can elevate everyone on a team. And this is one of Julius's hot button issues where quarterbacks can't make wide receivers better, wide receivers can't make quarterbacks better. Thank you. I I I have a little bit of a different opinion on that. I think great <laughs> wide receivers can make bad quarterbacks look mediocre. Um I think good quarterbacks can make bad receivers look mediocre. I don't think a great quarterback can make a receiver look great that isn't great, and I don't think a great receiver can make, you know, a bad quarterback look great. So my, my example I always give is DeAndre Hopkins at Houston when he made, you know, Matt Schaub, TJ Yates. Some of these guys look decent, even though they're just okay quarterbacks, right? Um, but I do agree that just because Aaron Rodgers is an all-time great quarterback, he's not going to turn Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs and all these guys into Hall of Fame wide receivers. It's going to take time. Remember when Aaron Rodgers hated Devontae Adams his first two years in the league? Because I do. <laughs> so, um, this just looks like Aaron Rodgers. Um, not only did we talk about last week, Julius, about his attitude and what he looks like on the field, but like just things you don't see from him a lot. Like I don't ever, I don't recall many games watching Aaron Rodgers where he has two batted balls in a row, especially to close a game out when you're trying to drive down and get a touchdown. I can't even remember the last time I've seen two batted balls in the same game by, by from Aaron Rodgers, let alone on back to back plays. Um, right. so I just feel, <laughs> I just feel like it's not the same Aaron Rodgers I'm used to seeing, uh, through the first five weeks of the season. And again, it could be feeling out his new teammates, but it's the same offense, the same head coach. So you can't say he's learning a new scheme. You know, it, it's just, it's confusing to see his play style, but shout out to the giants and coach Dayball. It looks like he brought in a whole new culture in, in, in the first five games of the season, the GM and him look like they are on the same page. It looks like they're not a dumpster fire of an organization like we were under Gettleman. Um, you know, the future looks exciting for the first time in a decade. Um, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Saquon and Daniel Jones and all them that are on contract years. 
Um, definitely need to bring in some wide receivers eventually because Richie James Jr. and David Sills the fifth are not the answer at my wide receiver room. So, um, yeah. again, shout out to the Giants being four and one. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I had them at, from worst to first in the NFC, and that's looking like that's the most probable thing that's going to happen right now uh, because the other teams were the Seahawks, then the Lions, and that doesn't look like that's happening. So, um, and the Panthers. So, yeah, that's definitely yeah. not happening. <laughs> So, yeah, I'll concede uh, with the whole when you have a bunch of really good wide receivers or even if you have one really good wide receiver, that can mask a quarterback's flaws. You can have certain receivers that create a margin of error for quarterbacks. So I'll give them that. But ultimately, a mediocre quarterback's a mediocre quarterback. You can watch Brock Osweiler play with DeAndre Hopkins and still know Brock Osweiler sucks, (laughs) even though he's getting these passes to Hopkins because Hopkins is just that good. You, you you know a mediocre quarterback when you're watching one. So that, that's what I'll say on that. Uh, getting to this game, uh, I'll kind of start with the end first. With Rodgers, you talked about the bad at balls and not seeing that happen with Aaron Rodgers often. I think a lot of that has to do with how predictable Rodgers was in this game. It seemed like any little bit of trust that he had built in the rookies from the plays they made a week ago, just went out the window. I mean, this game was all about, I'm looking for Lazard everywhere. I'm looking for Randall Cobb everywhere. I'm not going to give the rookies a chance. That That's what I felt like I saw from Aaron Rodgers in this game. So when you look at those last two batted balls, I mean, the first one wasn't really batted. It was kind of hit Kayvon Dibble on the face. So that was just a, a bad throw, but it's a bad throw aimed in the direction of Cobb. The last play of the game, even before the ball was snapped, you heard the announcers say, look out for Lazard here. Well, of course you're going to Lazard. Lazard caught a touchdown in this game. Lazard all season long has been the guy that Rodgers has had tunnel vision on inside the 10. And that's what that last pass was going. So what did the Giants do? Send Xavier McKinney, playing that safety position that's so important, sent him right off the edge, right in the pathway to a pass to Alan Lazard. You're making it too predictable for the defense. And so that becomes problematic. And for Aaron Rodgers, that's what I don't like to see. I don't like to see him locking in on one or two guys when this team has, whether he likes it or not, they've invested in these young guys. They've invested in Romeo Dobbs. They have invested in Christian Watson. You may not like it, but at some point, you got to incorporate them in offense to some degree. I'm not saying they got to be featured, but I'm saying they got to get a chance. More opportunities than they got in this game. When you look at the Packers, Outside of a safety that was a gift safety, they didn't score in the second half of this game. And how often have you said that about Aaron Rodgers? Particularly in a game where you had some offensive flow going. It's one thing to see Aaron Rodgers take the whole game off or take off after something bad happens. We've seen that happen, but uh, to see him just get shut out in a half, that's that's surprising to me. Now, some of that is, is credit to the Giants' defense. They made plays in this game, so I don't want to shortchange them. But, yeah, when you see the Packers not being able to put up points in a half when they need to. This wasn't a situation where they ran the clock out or something. They needed points, and they didn't get them. We talked about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and the importance they have to this team. We've talked about that since before the season started. They combined for under 100 rushing yards in this game, and they lose. They combined for under 100 yards rushing against the Vikings. They lost. They combined for under 100 yards rushing against Tampa Bay. They won that game with 14 points. This team needs to be a run-oriented team. That is what this team is built to do 
even with the legend Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, this team is built to be a running team. If they don't accept their identity, they're going to continue to have a lack of continuity on offense, and that's going to contribute to a lack of consistent results as the season goes on. Uh, as for the Giants, hey, Daniel Jones is 4-1 this year. Daniel Jones is also 28th in the league in passing yards. So again, passing yards, overrated. All you need is an occasional play here and there, and Daniel Jones is doing that much. I got to give him that. He's not been consistently good or anything like that, but he is making just enough plays here and there. You saw as this game went on, he came into the game with an ankle issue. He looked hobbled early on. As the game went on, his mobility seemed to return. He seemed to get more comfortable. And as that happened, the offense seemed to have a little more confidence, particularly once Saquon Barkley came back in from his shoulder injury. So I'm glad to see Barkley get back in because that's a scare for everybody. That's We hold our breath every time Barkley's slow to get up or anytime he goes to the tent. But he was able to come back in this game. The Giants made just enough plays. And I do have to call out the, the last play of the game. Green Bay did have one final shot at this game. And Aaron Rodgers is known for hitting some Hail Marys. I mean, if, if you didn't know he was known for hitting Hail Marys, they showed enough Hail Mary replays of Aaron Rodgers to remind you Aaron Rodgers has a nice history of Hail Marys. But with seven or eight seconds left and no timeouts, why would you not even attempt? Not even attempt a shorter pass to the sidelines to get yourself closer. When you look at that last Hail Mary, Aaron Rodgers was launching that ball from his own 29-yard line when he got stripped. I love Aaron Rodgers' arm. He ain't got 71 yards of air in that arm anymore, if he ever did. 61 yards, maybe. 71, that's a stretch. So why did you set yourself up to do that? You should have given yourself a better chance to get that Hail Mary there. They didn't do it. And... That was that. They didn't deserve to win that game, so I'm not mad at it, but that was curious for me. Hopping right into a game that doesn't need a whole lot of analysis, if we're really being honest. Uh, the Buffalo Bills did what you would think they would do, and then some. I mean, I think we all thought 38 points was in the, the realm of possibility, but 31 in the first half and a 38-3 to demolition of the Steelers. Even though, you know, I believe Buffalo is a 14-point favorite going into this game, so a blowout was expected. But this, this was just, ah. And, I mean, literally from the first minute of the game. <laughs> I mean, when you see Gabe Davis streaking down the field for a 98-yard touchdown, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a long day for the Steelers. The Steelers did respond with a field goal, so I'm like, well, maybe. But that was, of course, after they, you know, botched a punt. They did everything they powered to get blown out quickly in this game. Uh, they still were 7-3 to three at one point. You're thinking, yeah, maybe they'll make this entertaining for a little while. And then, I mean, by the time you got to halftime in this game, it was, this was a mercy rule game. <laughs> this, this was literally a mercy rule game. I'm talking about Josh Allen didn't have to finish. Josh Allen in the first half of this game had over 340 yards and four touchdowns. There, there are quarterbacks who wish they could ever do that in a game. There are some quarterbacks like Andrew Jones wish he could do that in two games. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing to see what that offense looks like. And just when you think maybe they might have a little bit of a depth issue, you lose Isaiah McKenzie for this game. You lose Jamison Crowder for this game and for probably a good while going forward. Uh, no, no problem. Just throw Khalil Shakir in there. <laughs> and he'll start making big plays for you. He'll catch passes in traffic for you. He'll take a catch and run and go up the sidelines for a good 30 yards. I mean, there's weapons all over the place in this offense. 
There's no balance in this offense, but this offense might not need balance. They, this might be successful as a flag football offense. They're just going to throw the ball all the time. Uh, they'll give Devin Singletary a, a courtesy carry here and there, I guess, but this his offense is making no secret of what they are going to do. And with this offense, as unbalanced as it is, Buffalo Bills are the only team this year who has not reached double-digit punts on the season yet. They only punted twice yesterday, and those two punts came after Case Keenum came into the game. <laughs> so this offense, pretty much every time they're touching the ball, they're scoring, or at least they're getting in position to score. So good luck beating them. Uh, you're certainly not going to beat them with three points. And I will say, I did not like, even though we all knew that the whole Mitch Trubisky thing was not going to last long, there was hope that maybe it could have lasted a little longer than it did, but we all knew before the season was over, Kenny Pickett was going to be in there. I just think that when you have a rookie quarterback, particularly one that you're hoping is the future, I would try to handpick his spot to make his debut a little differently. I would not have him making his first career start in Buffalo against the team that everybody thinks can go to the Super Bowl and win. So Kenny Pickett was kind of set up for failure as far as I'm concerned with that. And I thought you, you could make Trubisky a sacrificial lamb one more time before making this move. But after you benched Trubisky last week, you kind of didn't have a choice. Just, just poor timing here as far as I'm concerned. Um, Pat Farmuth got knocked out of this game with a concussion. That's concerning because we're talking about his third concussion in 21 games with concussions being a hot topic. You start to worry about fire moves and his health moving forward and how he's going to be available and how he's going to feel. Like I said, three concussions in 21 games is, is no joke. So you lose a security blanket there for a quarterback who's going to need it. Now, Kenny Pickett has been aggressive, certainly more aggressive than Trubisky, but any quarterback's going to want that security blanket across the middle. So uh, that's unfortunate to see. Uh, one of the themes of week five played out in this game, which was rookie defensive backs getting interceptions. Kyer Elam, congratulations to you on getting your first interception off of another rookie. But uh, that's something I'm going to talk about a lot throughout these summaries because a lot of rookies uh, had their shining moments defensively uh, this year. So uh, shout out to Kyrie Elam for that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's all I have to say about this game. Just, just a total beat down. And, yeah, <laughs> that's, nothing more needs to be said. Um, <laughs> I agree with you about the Kenny Pickett start. But once they benched, once they benched Trubisky, there was no way they could go back to him for the Bills game. But... Being a rookie quarterback coming in against the best defense in the league uh, a couple years in a row now, and then adding a Von Miller to that defense, uh, yeah, this was not a fair fight. Pittsburgh has so many injuries on defense; they have injuries everywhere. This was this game. Again, it went how we all thought it was going to go, especially after Buffalo looked terrible against the Ravens and should have lost that game. You just knew, you know, Josh Allen throwing for like 200 yards in that game. You just knew he was going to come out firing so um you know yeah it the Gabe Davis only had three catches but they went for 171 yards you know that makes it look good when you have a 98 yard uh 98 yard uh completion so um yeah this game was over before it even started like I bet you people wish they could have just you know hit the forfeit button in Madden and called it a day because this was just ugly if you're a Steelers fan and you travel to Buffalo I'm sorry um, 
<laughs> Again, the thing that's most concerning to me about Buffalo, um, and I know this game really didn't matter, and I know you kind of touched on it, is that they have no run game. I don't like Josh Allen being the primary runner for this team. Um, again, I just think if you look at the Cam Newton, it was successful for a little bit. They didn't win the Super Bowl, but you know, it's, it was successful for that season. But then after that season, he just never looked the same after taking all the hits and taking all the hits from running all the time. Cause Josh Allen doesn't run and slide. Josh Allen runs and tries to hit people. Um, and he takes a lot of unnecessary hits. So, uh, you know, I know they didn't need it in this game. He threw for 424, uh, but I I am concerned about the lack of a running game, especially when it gets a little bit colder because we saw what happened in the Ravens game. It was a little bit, little rainy, little windy, and that offense stalled. In a game they should have lost, they were down by 17. Um, it it That's what's concerning to me, especially if they have home field advantage because Buffalo in January and December is not good weather. So... Um, that is my one concern for this team, and I will keep harping on that until they can prove me wrong, but that is my one concern because you do need a running game eventually, especially I don't want my quarterback doing all my third and two runs and third and one runs, you know, because eventually all it takes is one bad hit, one bad hit to the head, and he has a little stumble, and they're, they're pulling him. So that's what concerns me the most about this team. For Pittsburgh, I feel bad because Mike Tomlin is definitely getting his first losing season as a head coach. Uh, there's no way around it. Uh, they lost a few games they should have won that maybe could have helped that record, like the Browns game uh, and some other games, but this team is not good. Um, I don't think Kenny Pickett is going to win them a lot of games this year. I'm not a huge Kenny Pickett fan, so I don't know if it's gonna, you know, if it's gonna be better uh, with a few more in a few more years, but. Um, this team just does not look like a good team, especially with all those injuries on defense. TJ Watt being out is huge. Uh, they just said he had has a knee injury now. They should just shut him down for the year. No reason to, you know, rush your star defender back on the field. I will say I was shocked that Gabe Davis ripped the ball out of Minka Fitzpatrick's hands. Um, that looked like a pick, and. He just sunned him in the in the end zone. I don't know what was going on. Uh, I know Fitzpatrick is stronger than that, and and is a is a and he's a great safety. It, that it shocked me. That 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 shocked me for sure. Um, next game, Los Angeles Chargers at the Cleveland Browns, in a game that was way closer and way more competitive than I thought it was going to be. Uh, this was actually a pretty fun game to watch, uh, which you don't get to say a lot about Cleveland um, that often. And again. Another missed opportunity by Cleveland to win a game. Cleveland could easily be 5-0, and which is a shock to say because Deshaun Watson is obviously out and they're playing with Jacoby Brissett. But Nick Chubb is the real deal. That Nick Chubb-Kareem Hunt combo is probably the best running back combo in the league. And um, that team is really, really good. Uh, what I like about this game from the Chargers, which I feel like the Packers need to move to, give your star running backs the ball. You saw the first three weeks, fantasy owners with Austin Eckler were getting upset, not knowing what to do. Why is he not getting the ball? Julius touched on it a lot for his segments the first three weeks, especially when Herbert had a freaking dislocated rib or whatever. They still weren't giving Eckler the ball in a game that was winnable. So Eckler just balled out in this game. 
and he balled out last week in their win, and they're winning games by giving it to who? Austin Eckler. So I love to see him getting involved. Very concerned about the Chargers' defense. All the injuries are starting to pile up again. Uh, this is what happened last year. Derwin James went out last year, and this defense fell apart. You got Bosa out. Uh, you got some other guys that are that are just kind of falling out and just hobbled, not looking right, and the defense just does not look the same. Um, I know they put some money into the defense in the offseason, but without having Bosa and Mack on the same line at the same time, this defense just doesn't look the same. Um, again, the Browns, I'm really surprised at how well they're playing this year, and I think that just goes to show you how bad of a quarterback Baker Mayfield is because everyone, if you talk to them before the season – you would rather have Baker Mayfield than Jacoby Brissett, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. I'd rather have Jacoby Brissett because look at how he's commanding this offense without an Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant, all these guys that were on the team with Baker Mayfield that you would say are better playmakers. And Jacoby Brissett has them in every single game. They have been in every single game. So... That's just that's just eye opening to me that that a quarterback who just takes care of the ball normally and can is a third and one and fourth and one specialist according to some can have your team in every single game and again this team could easily be five and zero. I'll say what I said last week about this Chargers offense and that is it's amazing how much better they are when they just give the ball to Austin Eckler in key situations. It does not have to always be Justin Herbert, and especially without Keenan Allen, maybe lean on the run game more. And that's the thing that the Chargers did in this game that helped them win this game. Uh, Austin Eckler, again, just making plays in all kinds of crucial situations. He's giving the ball uh, near the red zone, in the red zone. He's converting touchdowns. He's making life easy for Herbert. Herbert gets a touchdown pass just by dumping the ball off to him. Give Austin Eckler the ball. You know, you do that, it changes things. Austin Eckler scored a touchdown on the play that he was face masked on. It, it just doesn't matter with this guy. Give him the ball, good things happen. And, you know, the Chargers need to not make life hard on themselves when they have such a weapon in their backfield. Uh, speaking of weapons in the backfield, Nick Chubb, we, we, we really got to talk about him a little differently now. I mean, I, I think for a good while, he's been looked at as, you know, pretty good running back. You know, top 10 running back, you know, solid guy, all this stuff. Nick Chubb is an absolute monster. There, there may not be. I mean, you, you can talk about running backs being as good as Nick Chubb, but I'm not sure if anybody is definitively better. And that, that includes Saquon Barkley and everybody else. I'm not sure anybody is definitively better, certainly just as a pure runner of the football, than Nick Chubb. Uh, the touchdown he scored this game, he scores that touchdown by making Derwin James, one of the best safeties in the game, miss in the hole. Shows off his power, shows off breakaway speed, and then finishes the run by putting Khalil Mack on the ground. <laughs> Another all-pro play. I mean, that just it just goes to show just how good he is. And Beast. this is an offense that's still very limited in the passing game. You know the run is going to come, and teams have not been able to slow Nick Chubb down at all. So it's really time to start having a conversation about Chubb being truly elite. Kareem Hunt is an excellent running back in his own right. And so it creates a tremendous one-two punch in their backfield. But when you watch Nick Chubb run, it's just different, and he needs to be in that same category that you put the elite running backs, you know, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, any of these running backs, Nick Chubb needs to be in that conversation. 
Uh, with Jacoby Brissett, I still feel like he's limited in what he can do. He makes an occasional throw here and there. The big thing going for Jacoby Brissett right now is he's not Baker Mayfield. That, that is the big, biggest thing going for Jacoby Brissett right now. Because Jacoby Brissett in this game, with an opportunity to take a lead late, threw an interception in the end zone. If Baker Mayfield does that, that leads off Sports Center. That leads off first take. But because of Jacoby Brissett, and he's likable, a lot more than Baker Mayfield was, that kind of gets overlooked. And we just talk about all the Chargers won and Justin Herbert was great and all that. So that's the best thing going for Jacoby Brissett right now, to be honest. I still find him to be a limited player. I still think that this offense has another level it should be reaching if they had a better quarterback. I still like Brissett more as a backup. But I will say this, Jacoby Brissett is playing fine for a backup quarterback. He's showing you he is a backup, but he's showing you he belongs as a backup, whereas some of these other backups in this league can't even back up when the time calls for them to come in and actually do something. So I'll give Brissett, Wolfpack guy, I'll give him that credit. Uh, you know, you look at Cade York. I got I to gotta bring him up. Cade York was the hero of the first week of the season. Cade York is the one who, in his NFL debut, it was perfect. Made four field goals, made a couple extra points, and then knocked in the game-winning field goal from 58 yards to knock off Baker Mayfield. And that's just the kind of luck that Baker Mayfield's had in the NFL. Like, not only are you not good, but when you're you're not good and unlucky, that tends to hurt you. But since that first game, Hayden York has missed two field goals, missed two extra points, and he's played a key role in the Browns' two losses. Loss against the Jets, he misses an extra point, they lose by one. This loss, he had a chance to win it from a shorter distance than what he did to beat Carolina, and he missed it. So you're, you're getting those rookie struggles from your kicker, and it's unfortunate to see because he had such a brilliant debut, but he just has not been the same kicker since, and that's something to keep an eye on with Cleveland moving forward. All right, next game we'll talk about the Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings pull off the 29-22 win here. And, and let me start off just by saying this. I'm, I'm, I got I got a couple of beefs with this game because of stats that are so overrated. One, these game-winning drives. Kirk Cousins got credit in this game for a come-from-behind win in a game where they were blowing Chicago out, and then all of a sudden they stopped playing football. This is not the kind of game, particularly if you're a 4-1 team that thinks you're going to win the NFC North. This is not the kind of game where you should need a come-from-behind drive. This is the kind of game where you should, you should lose points by having to come from behind against that team. The Chicago Bears, if I could point to one team in football, and let me also say this before I, before I make the statement, no team is built to come from behind. No team is. You should be building a team to get ahead. That's kind of the point. If you want to win games, starting off losing isn't the way to do it. So you're not going to build a team to win from behind. With that gripe out of the way, if I have ever seen a team not built to win from behind, it's the Chicago Bears. So how do you let them, a team that cannot move the ball through the air outside of just lucky deep shots to Darnell Mooney, who has to make outstanding one-handed catches 50 yards down the field every week for this team to have anything resembling a pass attack, how do you let them come back on it? If you're the Vikings, 
You got to close this game out. It should have never been competitive. Kirk Cousins shouldn't get credit for a come from behind winning this, but he does. And, you know, people will look and say, oh, Kirk Cousins had this many game-winning drives this year and all that. No, I, I, I don't care. I don't care. This game should not have needed a game-winning drive. The other gripe I have is both of these quarterbacks in this game, Kirk Cousins and Justin Fields, got credit for a touchdown pass on plays where they literally did not throw the football. Stop counting that stupid push play where you literally just let the ball go into somebody's lap who was coming over in motion. Count as a touchdown pass. It's not a pass. It's not a pass. Stop counting that. Because all people do at the end of the season is look at passing touchdowns. All people do is look at the end of the game and say passing touchdowns and don't actually watch what happened. These are runs. And I am all for any pass. I don't care if it's thrown forward, backwards, sideways, behind the back. If the pass is caught behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, it should count as a rushing attempt. Make these quarterbacks earn their stats because that's all anybody wants to look at at the end of the day anyway. Now that I have that gripe out of the way, uh, congratulations to Bayless Jones Jr. You get your first career touchdown on one of those stupid push pass plays. He did his job, so I'll give him credit for that. Uh, the one thing I will say is when you watch the Bears, I talk about this a lot. I'll talk about this some more. Good teams find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose. The last couple of games, the Bears have had opportunities at the end of the game. What happened a week ago? Bayless Jones Jr. in his NFL debut muffs a punt. They don't even get a chance to put together a potential game-extending or game-winning drive. Yesterday, you got a chance to win. You're driving. Amir Smith-Marset puts, puts on a move on Cameron Dancer, gets him to the ground, and looks like, okay, we're, we're in Minnesota territory. We got a chance to win this game. And Dancer gets back up, and to his credit, he keeps playing, and he just takes the ball. It shouldn't even count as a fumble. It should just count as a steal. Took the ball from Smith-Marset to end the game. But that's what teams do when they're not good. Find ways to lose. Find ways to not protect the football, not value the football with the game on the line. And that's what separates good teams from bad teams. The Bears are a bad team. The Vikings should not have had this much of a problem beating them at home. Yeah, this game is just going to be one of those Kirk Cousin lovers stat games where they're like, look, he led another comeback. You're playing the Bears and you are winning. Justin Jefferson had 154 receiving yards. Dalvin Cook had two rushing touchdowns. This, this game shouldn't have been in question anyway. Um, and like you said, the, he didn't win in really a game-winning drive because the defense stopped the Bears from having a game-winning drive. So does the defense get credit for the game-winning drive? No. Even though they're the ones who ended the game. So stats in the NFL always favor the offense. The NFL wants every game to be 48-45. to 45. Um you know, yeah, that, that, that little chess pass is, is not a pass. Um, it is a run. It's like a jet sweep. I don't understand how it became a pass play. It literally is just a jet sweep, and instead of him it. handing it off, he's doing like a little chess pass instead of a handoff. So, I don't know. That's for fancy purposes. That's the only reason I can think of why they call that a pass now. Um, because if you do it in the backfield on a double reverse, you ain't giving Tyreek Hill credit for passing it to Jalen Waddle. <laughs> like it just doesn't make it, it is what it is um yeah i i i was impressed that chicago didn't fold because old chicago teams would have just phoned this in kind of like 
our next game we're going to talk about, the Detroit Lions. The old Chicago Bears would have just phoned it in and, and called this a game, but they fought back and, you know, give credit to the defense or Kirk Cousins, whoever you want to give credit to for letting them back in the game. But, um, you know, it like you said, bad teams and bad organizations just find ways to lose. And and being stripped after you make a good move to, to get a couple more yards kind of reminded me of DK Metcalf, right? DK Metcalf, even when he's being tackled by three dudes, will try and stay up to get an extra yard, and he always fumbles. It's like, just go on the ground. Like, it just... There's no reason for it, um, but Minnesota's four and one and leading the NFC North, so I guess they're not too mad about it. Going right into my upset of the week uh, game, I did not see happening was uh, Detroit at New England and New England winning twenty nine to zero. Just Detroit's been putting up points. Detroit's been getting touchdowns. Detroit's been getting yards. To put zero up on a team that is starting Bailey Zappi. Um, just it shocked me, especially with Damian Harris getting hurt. Even though, don't get me wrong, Stevenson came in and balled. He had a hell of a game. Um, even saying all that, uh, you would expect Detroit to put up some type of offensive output, and they did absolutely nothing. Um, the Lions are just the Lions. Dan Campbell has fooled after the first three weeks where they were putting up points and they were in games and they should have won games. Uh, lines are still the lines. Um, one and four now. Uh, even though, again, should have beat the Vikings. Should have beat Seattle, most likely. Can't give up 48 points to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but here we are. One and four and, and getting shut out. So, um, there's really nothing good to say about the Lions in this game. You know, not having DeAndre Swift is obviously hurting this team, uh, because their team does not look the same. But that defense... Uh, you can understand why they drafted Hutchinson and Okoyo a couple of years ago at, at the cornerback position. Like they need as many defensive players and playmakers on that team. Um, this is just a bad, bad team on defense, and, and they have a lot of young guys. And maybe it'll come together in a few years. But if Detroit keeps playing this way, Dan Campbell won't be around <laughs> to, to, to witness if the defense can turn it around. Um, Credit to New England for coming out and 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 stomping them out with the run game and defense. Again, twenty nine to nothing. Uh, now, one thing about Bill Belichick team, they will never concede. Right? They they will come out and try and win a game. And and again, they almost shocked everyone by beating the Packers last week. And and they came out and they shocked me. I did not expect a twenty nine nothing game. I didn't expect a blowout by Detroit, but I did not expect it to be twenty nine to zero. Uh, so good job, New England, uh, for definitely surprising me this week. Hey, first and foremost, uh, all the best to Savion Smith. Uh, I've, I've watched his play against Hunter Henry a hundred times, and I still haven't figured out quite what happened to him on that play. Uh, but he ended up being taken off the field on an ambulance. Uh, you don't see that very often. You don't see ambulances on the field very often. So uh, to see that moment was concerning, and just all the best to him moving forward. Just wanted to acknowledge him before I get into uh, the breakdown of this game. Absolutely. As far, absolutely, absolutely. As far as the game itself goes, you know, this is just one of those things that, you know, it just feels like there are certain teams and certain players, the moment you try to give them credit, you get this. The moment you try to say, oh, the Lions are a feisty team, the Lions are all of a sudden, one of the most entertaining teams to watch. You can feel the culture shifting in Detroit. You know, the moment you want to say, look at Jared Goff. Look at him being productive. Look at him making plays. Look at him leading the number one offense in the league. You get this. You get that Jared Goff that 
everyone laughed at in Los Angeles. You get the Jared Goff that everyone blames for the Rams not winning more Super Bowls because they won one, you know, the year he got replaced. And that was the disappointing thing for me to see. You know, you figure going up against a Bill Belichick team, you're not going to be putting up those high-flying stats you put up against somebody like Seattle's defense. But you want to see this team show something. I mean, this New England defense is still good, and they've always been good just about under Belichick. But this defense isn't completely flawless. This isn't the top defense in the league. This isn't the top Patriots defense we've ever seen. And to not be able to do anything at all against this defense was disappointing for me. Uh, They kept their identity as far as being a team that's aggressive on fourth down, but the fourth down plays just didn't go well for them, including a fourth down play where Jared Goff was sacked and fumbled, and it resulted in a Patriots touchdown for Kyle Duggar, one of the better safeties in the league and a name that people got to learn out of Lenore Ryan of all schools. Um, As for the Patriots, they understood the assignment. (laughs) That's the best way I can say this. Uh, Yes, Damian Harris got hurt, but in my opinion, Ramondre Stevenson is their most talented running back anyway. So this kind of cleared the runway for them. You know, the Patriots always love to use a backfield by committee. Tom Montgomery's hurt now. Damian Harris is hurt. Now you've got a chance for Ramondre Stevenson, who, again, most talented running back in that backfield to shine. And I'm very curious to see what he does and what opportunity he gets moving forward if Damian Harris has to miss time. Because now you got Stevenson and inexperienced players like Pierre Strong in that backfield. And we know Belichick doesn't like to ride with rookies. So do they turn Stevenson completely loose moving forward? I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch moving forward. Uh, Bailey Zappi, he gets a win in his first start. That seems to kind of be another theme going around the league. Some of these quarterbacks who aren't having to do a whole lot, but finding a way to get wins. Uh, Zappi was able to do that this game. Uh, Credits him for not making any mistakes, not forcing anything and hitting the opportunity on those rare times uh, when he was asked to do so. Uh, The best scoring opportunity of this game was erased by Jack Jones. Again, another rookie defensive back making an interception. This is the same Jack Jones that got a pick six off of Aaron Rodgers last week. So uh, number 13 in that Patriots secondary is quickly becoming a name to remember, somebody to keep an eye on when the Patriots are playing football. And, you know, he's, he's definitely somebody I'm going to be watching moving forward. So, uh, you know, the Patriots did what they do. Uh, they've still shown you that if they, play, if they face a flawed team, they can still dominate as long as Belichick's there and as long as that defense gets a chance to get into a rhythm. Uh, they're not the same Patriots that we've seen over, over the years. This is a beatable Patriots team, but you can't just walk in there with flaws and issues and imbalance and a bad defense and think you're going to beat the Patriots. That's the lesson we learned this week. All right, next game we're going to talk about a thriller down in New Orleans. The New Orleans Saints able to pull off a 39-32 back-and-forth shootout win over the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, This game, you know, without Jameis Winston, you know the Saints were going to have to change things offensively, not just without Jameis Winston, but also entering the game without Michael Thomas and without Jarvis Landry and having uh, Chris Olave go down in this game. You knew the Saints were going to have to try something different. And they tried something different that wasn't different. It was amazing to me to see that it seemed like when Taysom Hill lined up at quarterback, nobody on the Seahawks seemed to have any clue that 99% of the time it means there's a run run coming and a quarterback draw coming at that. 
every quarterback draw that Taysom Hill ran seemed to catch the Seahawks off guard. And that's just shocking to me. Uh, that That's something I was, I was tempted to hold until the blow the whistle segment because I'm just that confused as to how you can see Taysom Hill back there and not be prepared for a quarterback draw at all. Now, credit to Taysom Hill. He ran hard and he ran fast. If, if there was a hole to hit, there were some major holes and alleys to hit. Taysom Hill was gone each time. And I'll also give Taysom Hill credit because the one pass he did throw was a strike. I got, I got to give him credit for that. He's not somebody you want to be your full-time quarterback, but he's, he's shown that occasionally he can hit the dart for you, and he did in this game. So I got to give him that. But I was disappointed in the Seahawks because they just seemed to have no scouting report on who Taysom Hill was. Uh, uh, on the other side, you know, there, there's a lot of fun comparing what Geno Smith is doing to what Russell Wilson is doing because Russell Wilson left Seattle. So it's, it's fun and easy to do that one-on-one -on -one comparison. But I'm going to just say this right now. Unless you're a Chiefs fan or a Bills fan, Geno Smith is playing better than your favorite quarterback. Geno Smith was outstanding in this game, and he has been outstanding for pretty much all but one game this season. Uh, other than that second game against the 49ers, he has been outstanding. I, I got to give him credit. I, I wasn't buying it for the first few weeks of the season, but as it goes on, and, you know, New Orleans is a solid defense. Not a spectacular defense, but a solid defense. And for Geno Smith to have the kind of game he did in a game where he had a touchdown pass called back, a long one to D.K. Metcalf, called back due to a penalty. D.K. Metcalf dropped another touchdown in this game, so there were missed opportunities. Geno Smith had a big game in this game, and he should have had a much bigger game had things just gone right around him. So I got to give him a lot of credit. And, and that's not something, <laughs> at this point of the season, that's not something I thought I would do. Give Geno Smith credit. So that's that's uh the other the one disappointing thing for me in this game. Well, a couple of disappointing things just with the injuries. The injuries are disappointing. Uh seeing Chris Olave, who's been off to such a fantastic start, who's been living up to our I mean, Patrick and I uh, offensive rookie of the year prediction. I mean, he's he's done everything in his power, and especially uh even more so with dealing with a backup quarterback situation, dealing with other receivers being out and more defensive attention being on him. So to see him get slammed into the ground and, and being knocked out, that was unfortunate to see. And then also Rashad Penny. You know, I've, I've been hyping him up for a lot of the season, just how good he's been when he's been healthy. He's one of the most efficient players in all of football. I said it before, I'll say it again. The guys over the last couple of seasons has averaged over six yards a carry. If he had enough carries to qualify, he would be the all-time leader as far as running backs go, all-time leader in career yards per carry. That's how explosive Rashad Penny has been. He gets injured again, uh, another significant lower body injury for Rashad Penny. And you just, you just hate to see it for him. I feel bad for him. This happens in another contract year for him. Uh, this happens in a situation where the, the team already drafted Kenneth Walker III with a high pick, even though they had bigger needs than running back. So your heir apparent is already in place. And I, I expect Kenneth Walker III to take off in a hurry now that he's the guy in that backfield. But I, I just feel so bad for Rashad Penny because – he keeps bouncing back and bouncing back, and he's been in the league a little longer than some people might think. And to see him go down again was just sad to see. So that that put a damper on this game. But overall, an explosive game. Uh, the Seahawks, they, they got to find some defense somewhere. Uh, that That's one thing. Their offense looks to be fine right now, but uh, the defense has really got to get better. And New Orleans, it, defense has to be better than this. But again, Geno Smith has kind of picked apart just about everybody except the 49ers. So... Um, yeah, the Saints, the thing moving forward, they, they just got to get healthy. They got Kamara back, but he's been in and out of the lineup. There's no health on that offense, and that's a big problem for the Saints moving forward.
Yeah, in a game that I did not think would be a 39-32 to shootout, and like Julius already alluded to, uh, some missed opportunities by Seattle to make this even a higher-scoring game. Um, you know, Andy Dalton has come in and has been serviceable, and as Julius also mentioned, uh, lots of injuries to that uh, wide receiver core, so Andy Dalton's pretty much playing with second unit players now and wide receiver. Uh, Kamara did come back and have a, had a good game. Uh, this game and the offense looked a lot better for it, but in reality, Taysom Hill was the offense in this game. Um, the Troutman touchdown pass, as Julius already talked about, was was nice uh, because again, every time you come in, you think he's going to run it. They hit you with a little play action, um, and like you said, that was a strike. And then the sixty yard run was just impressive because not only was it a quarterback draw or or power, whatever you want to call it. He literally outran the defense, and then when the corner caught up to him, he shook him off of him and went into the end zone as a tight end slash quarterback, whatever you want to call Taysom Hill. So um, big win for New Orleans. They needed it. They needed to get back on track. Um, tough loss for Seattle. And, yeah, I will give Geno Smith all the credit he deserves through five weeks of the season. Um, his only bad game was in the division. And you need to win division games, so I'm interested to see how he's going to play against the other teams in that division. Um, <coughs> you know, Rams don't have a pushover defense, and the Cardinals have a fast defense. They haven't been playing very well, but they have a, a good enough defense. They held the Eagles to minimal points, so um, I'm interested to see how they how Seattle plays in the division because when they played San Francisco, they looked like the Seattle we all thought that Seattle would be this year. Um yeah, really, really sad about Rashad Penny. He was having a great bounce-back year. Um, they did take him. A lot of people forget he was a first-round draft pick for Seattle. Um, Kenneth Walker had a huge run in this game. I think it was like a 68-yard touchdown. Um, so it looks like <laughs> Rashad Penny is definitely going to be replaced um, sooner than later, um, obviously for this season because he broke his leg. Um so I don't think he's back with Seattle next year. Hopefully he can find a team and, and, and show he's healthy and bounce back and maybe get get to be kind of a one-two duo punch somewhere. Um, but DK Metcalf's been doing what DK Metcalf does. There's some plays he, he makes, and you're just like, wow, what a, what a beast. And then there's other plays he does, and you're just like, what was he thinking? So um, <coughs> there's just a lot for Seattle to have to – but yeah, the the injuries just piling up for New Orleans is is bad. Seattle had a couple this game too. Again, the big one was Rashad Penny, but Alave going down sucks. Uh, hopefully he can bounce back. That looked like a concussion. Um, Michael Thomas we thought would have a big year coming back healthy. Clearly he's not healthy though. So uh, we'll see if Jarvis Landry can get healthy. Um, moving on to the Miami at the New York Jets, and oh my goodness, everyone look out for the J E T S Jets Jets Jets. Um, 40 points. Yikes. Um, <laughs> as soon as Teddy Bridgewater went down this game, I knew Miami had no chance whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think they had a great shot with him in start starting, but I didn't, I, I thought they would have a better chance. Um, I definitely did not see the Jets putting up 40. Uh, their offense didn't look great. Brees Hall looked great. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but the defense did what it did with a third string quarterback in 
Miami really needs Tua back because that offense just looks so stagnant without him in there. Um, which it's funny, right? Because a lot of people would say that Tua's not a good quarterback, Tua can't do this, Tua can't do that. As soon as Tua has not been in the game for Miami, the offense has stalled. So for all the Tua haters out there, I don't know what else you need to see from this man to think that he's a good quarterback. But literally look at Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill's output when Tua's in versus when Tua's out. Now, I know Tyreek had a pretty big game Thursday night when Tua had, went out, but he made some amazing catches on some underthrown Teddy Bridgewater balls. Um, but yeah, nothing. It this offense just looks awful. Um, that's all that really needs to be said about Miami. They need Tua back if they're going to do any damage. Um, and then, again, moving on to New York, they look like the young guys are coming together on offense and defense, and they're all hitting their stride at the right time. It's all going to come down to Zach Wilson's play, though, right? So, um, again, they had a really injured, not 100% Dolphins team. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see the Jets not against an injured Dolphins and crappy Steelers team. We'll see. We'll see if this is all just, you know, a product of who they've played uh, or if it's actually this team getting better and kind of gelling together at the right time. You know, for a couple of years, folks around football have talked about just the difference between when Jimmy Garoppolo plays for the 49ers and when anybody not named Jimmy Garoppolo plays for the 49ers and how you know it may not seem pretty when Jimmy G's in, but it seems like they can't win without. And the Dolphins seem to be kind of entering that same category where, you know, when Tua Tagovailoa is in that lineup, you got a good chance of winning. When it's anybody else, all of a sudden the team doesn't look good. And this team didn't look good at all. And my thing is this. Even if I knew, now if I knew that Skylar Thompson would play the majority of this game, I would have picked the Jets. But not to win by 23. I mean, the whole team fell apart after Bridgewater got hurt. And you could you could see how quickly the impact of not just Tua being out, but how that whole story played out impacted this game. I mean, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater even went into concussion protocol. I think the Dolphins saw his head hit near the ground and said, you know what, he's out. <laughs> we cannot afford to have any more heat on us dealing with concussions. Anybody from now on that hits their head on the ground, they out. I, I don't care if you can recite every number that comes after the decimal in pie, you're out the game if you hit the head, your head on the ground as a Miami Dolphin. That's just where they are now. So... You see that storyline play out and impact the game. Uh, Skylar Thompson is the kind of backup quarterback. We'll, we'll see if he gets better. He had a, a good preseason for what that's worth. But uh, when you see Skylar Thompson perform the way he did with the struggles he had despite having such great weapons on the outside, it does make you appreciate somebody like Jacoby Brissett more. Uh, backup who, again, may be limited as backup should be, but someone who can at least make a few plays here and there. Skylar Thompson just, just couldn't get anything going. Uh, obviously, a couple weeks ago, Skylar Thompson would have never thought he'd be on the field. So I, I give him uh, some grace there. But he certainly looked like a quarterback that just wasn't ready to play. Uh, but speaking of rookies who were ready to play, the Jets had a couple of them yesterday. Uh, we talked about Brees Hall. Brees Hall almost had himself a 100-100 game. Uh, he almost had 100 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving in the same game. He, he 
had himself a nice Marshall Falk line in this game. And I have to say, uh, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, Brees Hall was going too high in fantasy because he was in a uh, hampered offense and he was going to be splitting carries with Michael Carter. I, I apologize for that. Because what Brees Hall has done over these last couple of weeks has been extremely impressive. He's still having to split the backfield. Michael Carter's not going away because he's a pretty decent running back as well. Carter had a couple of touchdowns in this game, but Brees Hall really took this game over on the offensive side of the ball. And defensively, Ahmad Gardner, you got to give this man credit. Gardner is the guy who knocked Bridgewater out of this game. And while you don't celebrate guys getting hurt necessarily, what you do celebrate is the fact that it put points on the board. That was a safety. So Gardner, literally from the defensive side, put points on the board to start the game off. This game was 2 nothing to start off. So the Jets got the lead thanks to Sauce's play. And then Gardner, again, another rookie defensive back, who got an interception on Sunday, his first career interception. And you could just see how much the team was feeding off of him. You got to have a different kind of personality, one, to go by Sauce as a nickname, and two, to be a defensive back in the NFL wearing number one. You, you got to be a different type of guy with a different type of confidence. And that, that confidence has really manifested itself for him and for the entire team. He set the tone in this game on one end. Brees Hall set it on the other end. And the rookies really took this game over for the Jets. So I got to give them all credit for that. Next game we'll talk about is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers eking out a 21-15 win over the Atlanta Falcons, a game that Tampa Bay looked to completely have in hand and uh, became more competitive in the end than it probably should have been. I will acknowledge that I did not even really want to talk about this game because I was so disgusted with the call that essentially ended this game. Now, I'm not one to say that the Falcons should have won this game. Like I said, they came out the block slow. They were way down in this game. They probably should have never been in this game. They needed a lot of help from Tampa Bay to get back into this game. But with the game on the line, to watch Tom Brady get sacked and be thrown down in regular fashion and then get a flag, and it's not that just that the flag came. If you look at the replay, the flag was not immediately thrown. And my issue is the optics here. The flag's not immediately thrown. Tom Brady gets up, says something to the ref, the referee nods, and all of a sudden it's a 15-yard penalty. What are we doing? Now, I just talked about the optics that the Dolphins were dealing with. You know, the optics of Teddy Bridgewater hitting his head and them immediately saying, we don't care if you're fine or not. The optics suggest that we need to keep you out of the game. The league is conscious about optics most of the time. The one time they don't seem to care about optics is when it deals with some of these rough in the passer calls, and especially when Tom Brady's involved. There should not be a direct player to referee conversation that leads to a flag being thrown that essentially ends the game. That just shouldn't happen. And, you know, that that's it just puts a damper on the entire game. I, I was disgusted watching this game because we've seen this happen too often with Brady. And it's just ridiculous that in a game that turned out to be a better game than people expected, you get that out of it. So that was just disgusting to me. Uh, getting to the game itself, uh, you saw the Buccaneers kind of change their identity on offense a little bit. Saw a lot of checkdowns in this game. Leonard Fournette had his first career game with double-digit receptions. That's something that, that's different. Leonard Fournette really did kind of play that James White role for Tom Brady in this game. So... I uh, give him credit for showing something different in this game and showing that he can do that. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, since he's been to Tampa, he's been yearning for that consistent pass-catching running back, 
And, you know, that's part of the reason Ronald Jones is not there because he can't catch. Um, but Fournette came through in the passing game, and that made the big difference for uh, the Buccaneers here. Uh, as for the Falcons, again, probably didn't deserve to win this game. I'm concerned about the passing game. I've given Mariota credit early in this year for looking a little better than I expected and having a good command of the offense. Mariota, the last couple of weeks combined, is under 50% passing. Now, completion percentage is another overrated stat because it can be manipulated, but you've got to hit more than 50% of your passes no matter what kind of throws you're taking. So uh, Mariota has got to be more consistent in the passing game. They've got to get more out of the passing game, especially with the weapons they have. Kyle Pitts was out in this game, which which hurts, but you, you got to be able to move the ball through the air some, especially with your injuries you're dealing with in the backfield. You've got to be able to move the ball through the air. You've literally got a converted defensive back running the ball, and he had a nice spin move and touchdown. So I got to give Avery Williams credit. But uh, the Falcons' offense has to be better, uh, has to be more than one-dimensional moving forward, uh, or the clock is going to start ticking on Mariota, I believe. Uh, the Falcons' defense, I think, you know, we've talked about them earlier this year. They've kind of overperformed for a lot of the season, or maybe they are performing to what they should be, and we've just got to give them a little more credit. But I like what I'm seeing from the Falcons' defense. They're at least giving the offense a shot at winning games, but this offense just cannot consistently generate enough uh, enough offense, enough yardage to be effective and as compete against a team as good as the Buccaneers. Yeah, this game is going to be marred by the terrible, terrible roughing the passer call. Um, you know, I don't like to say I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I've seen a lot of terrible officiating this week. Um, let alone at the Maryland game that I was at. Uh, when the guy was clearly offsides and then blocked an extra point, which ended up costing the Terrapins a chance at overtime. But this roughing the passer call is terrible. Um, you know, a lot of people say roughing the passer is racist. Uh, I actually heard a broadcaster say it's interesting to see how running quarterbacks get treated versus non-mobile quarterbacks. Um, talking about Lamar Jackson took a big hit where he was thrown to the ground. Uh, when he was kind of scrambling in the backfield, but he was still not past the line of scrimmage versus, again, a Tom Brady who just gets whipped to the ground um, and does not do anything besides get up and complain to the ref. So it is interesting to look at some of these roughing the passers call because Tua didn't get a roughing the passer call on his sack that knocked him out, and he got whipped to the ground way harder than Tom Brady did. So... um. It is very interesting how they call these, and I know that it's not the same officiating crew in every single game. That's impossible, but um, it's just uh, it needs to be looked at. It needs to be looked at by the league because this is just it, it's just a bad look all the way around. Especially since it was Tom Brady. Um, having said that, Tampa Bay did not play a good game. Um, they've looked really bad the entire year. Uh, Atlanta had a chance if they would have counted that as a sack. Tampa Bay would have been punting to them with a chance to win the game. Would they have won it? I don't know. Uh, probably not, just because Tampa Bay's defense is really good. But Atlanta had the momentum. Atlanta had came, come back in the second half. So um, I'm with Julius. I don't think Mariota is going to be the starter much longer, even though Atlanta's been in every game they've played. They have not been blown out in any game. Um, they should have beat New Orleans week one, blew that by the defense. Uh, they were in the Rams game. So Atlanta's played hard all year. So uh, this could be a team that could easily have a better record than they do have. 
Um, and I don't want to say that's all on Mariota. Has some of it been on the offense? Yes, but that New Orleans game was on the defense. So, you know. Um, but Leonard Fournette is having a resurgence this year. Um, he looks like the number four overall pick in a draft again, like he was with the Jaguars. But other than that, this game was pretty boring. It was not good football all the way around. Uh, and like I said, that, that roughing the passer call was just a really, really bad call. Going into the Tennessee Titans at the Washington Commanders, um, another bad game, uh, between two bad teams. Um, I think the Ron Rivera era and the Commanders is coming to an end. Um, but I don't think it matters what coach you get in with the Commanders. It, it, their organization is going to be bad until Snyder is gone as the owner. Um, there's just some things you can't fix. Um, if you look at the Commanders franchise back when they were the Redskins, and I still think like to this day, right now, I think they have the fifth or sixth most wins in NFL history, more than the Cowboys, more than everybody in their division. I think besides the Giants, the Giants are third overall. Um, but since Snyder took over, you would not even kids growing up these days, 20 and younger do not know anything about the commanders being a good franchise. Um, and that's just sad to see because back in the nineties and eighties, the NFC East, was a coveted division. People were scared of the NFC East. And, you know, they look like they're a decent division this year, but still a lot of games to play, so we'll see what their final record is. But the Commanders have been a laughingstock for over a decade, um, you know, and it's just sad to see. Um, again, I don't want to put all the blame on Rivera, uh, but the coaching staff deserves a lot. I mean, you look at the Giants the last few years with the terrible GMs and terrible coaches, and the team looked really bad. Now you get a GM and a coach that are on the same page. They came in together. They came from the same organization as before. And <laughs> the Giants are 4-1 and one when most people probably had them being 1-4 and four at this point. So um, moving on to Tennessee, a game that they barely escaped with a win. Derrick Henry looked good again, but Ryan Tannehill continues to be a crappy quarterback. Uh, this team is going to literally have to rely on their defense and Derrick Henry, as we knew coming into the season. Um, Washington, again, had every chance to win this game. Wentz almost threw three picks in a row before the pick that actually ended the game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just don't... Again, the play calling, and, and I know Wentz had big numbers, but he had two bombs, essentially, that accounted for like half his throwing yards so um again it was good to see brian robinson back on the field uh you know we talked about him in our in our week one podcast uh glad that he can still move and run and play football so that's great to see him back on the field but this was just another game that um just didn't just was two bad teams just playing playing each other so yeah the titans were able to just kind of find a way to hold on in this game but like you said two Bad teams, two offenses that struggled to, to keep anything going consistently. Um, with the case of the Titans, they have become really, really reliant on Derrick Henry, which is, is not a shock, but uh, his workload continues to increase. Uh, he's touched the ball 80 times now in the last three games. He's touched the ball at least 25 times in each of those games. And uh, the bye week can't come quickly enough for Derrick Henry. So uh, Tennessee's bye is right on time. But I'm starting to get a little concerned about him for the 
second half of the season, uh, considering that Tennessee doesn't have a bye week towards the middle of the season. Uh, can Derrick Henry maintain touching the ball basically 27 times a game uh, through the course of two-thirds of a season without another bye week, which is what the Titans are more than likely going to ask him to try to do. And, you know, the backup running back there is Dontrell Hilliard, who's more of a receiver than a running back, or at least the way they've used him is more like a receiver. So uh, they are asking a whole lot out of Derrick Henry, uh, even more so than usual these last few games. And you just wonder how sustainable it is. You'd like to see them at least attempt. And I know that they are with Traylon Burks and they really have to rely on, you know, short passes and just an occasional play from Tannehill here and there. But they've they've got to find a way to add a little more balance to this offense. Uh, this is an offense that seem like the Commanders, but but they're not going to be good enough or productive productive enough to beat good teams. The Tennessee Titans don't have a point in the fourth quarter this year, and you would think that a team that runs the ball like they do, or, or at least commits to the run as much as they do, whether the run is efficient or not would be a team that could generate offense in the fourth quarter. So it, it's disturbing to see that. And again, you can beat a team like the Commanders without scoring in the fourth quarter. What happens when the level of top competition increases? Fortunately for the Titans, they're in a division that seems to look weaker and weaker by the week. So maybe in the division, they can get away with that. But outside of the division, it's just not a recipe for sustained success. Moving forward to the Commanders, uh, like you said, their entire offense in this game was just two long bombs to De'Ami Brown. And, you know, credit to him for coming down with those. One, he looked like he was on the verge of dropping but found a way uh, to come up with the play. Uh, the other one was a, was a nice play by him. So uh, credit to him. Somebody had to fill the Jahan Dotson void as far as being a big play guy. And Brown, who has not produced the way you would want him to for a guy that was drafted as high as he was, uh, it was good for him to kind of step into that role and make something happen for the offense. But outside of that, uh, just inconsistent offense, and that's kind of been the theme for the commanders for most of the year. Outside of a splash play here and there, they have not been able to consistently get anything going. Uh, it was great to see Brian Robinson Jr. return as quickly as he did from his uh, gunshot injuries. But, uh, you know, we do have to talk about the fact that the running game was just not there for the commanders, whether they tried with Robinson, whether they tried with Gibson, whether they tried with McKissick, it just was not there. So uh, this team needs to figure out something and it can't just be uh, Ron Rivera throwing guys under the bus. And, you know, I, I, I want to talk about him a bit just because I just don't like what I'm seeing out of Ron Rivera. I said this years ago. Uh, back when he consistently threw Dwayne Haskins Jr. under the bus. He got away with it and actually got credit for being a great coach and a disciplinarian and all this because uh, Haskins was unliked by everybody not named Daniel Snyder within that organization and within the fan base. But you're seeing the same problems. Now, Haskins, unfortunately, is, is gone. But even after he left that franchise and went to Pittsburgh, you're seeing the same problems be consistent in uh, this franchise. And you're seeing Ron Rivera had the same responses to the point where when he's asked about the team being so far behind the division, he doesn't take any accountability. He doesn't say, maybe we need to call better plays on the goal line to help Carson Wentz out, or we need to do something to address uh, the you know some of our shortcomings in other areas, or we've got a young team and we're trying to build towards something. He didn't say any of that. He just throws Carson Wentz under the bus. I'm proud of the quarterback. Oh, because you've been coaching so great. I don't think so. You know, he, he 
pulls William Jackson out of the game in, in this game and goes out of his way to make sure that it's known during the broadcast he's not injured. He's just out of the game because we're blaming him too. And, you know, I'm not here to say that Carson Wentz nor William Jackson III is playing good football, but I'm saying as a head coach, there's got to be some degree of accountability from you. And I have never seen that from Ron Rivera ever. And so, you know, we talk about this organization, this franchise being a dysfunctional one, and that starts at the very top. But it's, it's time that Ron Rivera has to be put under the microscope because your job as a coach is not just to be a babysitter for the franchise. At some point, it's got to be about the X's and O's. It's got to be about execution. It's got to be about putting guys in position to succeed. And Ron Rivera hasn't done any of that for this team. All right, next game we're going to talk about is actually my upset of the week. Uh, the Houston Texans going into Jacksonville and knocking off the Jaguars 13-6. to uh, This was definitely a surprise for me. Uh, we've been on high on Jacksonville for most of the year, uh, especially uh, since a couple of weeks ago when they went to Los Angeles and, and beat down the Chargers. Uh, last week, we gave Trevor Lawrence grace because he was terrible in the loss of the Eagles. But we said, you know, it was raining, poor conditions. I still said he should have protected the ball better in terms of not fumbling all those steps and every time he got hit. I uh, still got to learn how to play through uh, adverse weather conditions better than that. But in this game, he didn't have those excuses. There was no rain or bad weather or anything like that. And this offense generated six points. I mean, that's just inexcusable. And, you know, I'm looking at Trevor Lawrence and I'm saying, hey, you are the former number one pick in the draft. We've given you basically a redshirt year because of the whole Urban Meyer situation and how negative that was for him and for that franchise as a whole. But now we need to start seeing some production from you on a consistent basis. This team has gone out of its way to try to upgrade the weapons around him. Like, like I said many times, he finished last season with Laquan Treadwell as his number one receiver. So nobody's going to succeed in that situation. But now you've got decent weapons. You, they've shown themselves to be decent weapons. You're not superstars but decent weapons. You've got to find a way to win a game where your defense only gives up 13 points at home against a team in the Texans that came into this game as the last winless team in the league. You've got to find a way to win this game. So I was disappointed with Lawrence in this game just because my expectations for him are much higher than what we saw in this game. Uh, as for Houston, uh, similar to the Jets, this is a team that rode their rookies to this win. Uh, offensively, Damian Pierce. I mean, what, what a game he had. He had one run uh, that I'm sure everybody's seen by now, about a 20-yard run to get uh, to set up a goal line situation. Uh, he ran through about five or six tackles. I mean, Damian Pierce has really been a tone setter on an offense that has been really one-dimensional at times. Uh, every week I look at Damian Pierce and just see a player that's getting better and better, and uh, he, he is really carrying that offense. Offense is not explosive at all but he's carrying what that offense has to offer. And again, another rookie defensive back coming through with the first interception of his career. Derek Stingley Jr. picks off one in this game. Uh, just so many rookies is coming through making impact plays defensively. Stingley's interception came in the end zone, so that's, that's the type of play that preserves a win for you in a game that ends up being 13-6. to six. Uh, The one thing I do have to say to Stingley, and I won't blow the whistle on him because he did get the interception, but next time, I get you're excited, it's the first interception. Next time, when you're eight yards deep in the end zone, stay there. Stay there. Do not run it out and get tackled at the one-yard line. 
because in a game like this, a safety could have made the difference in this game. So that's the one little criticism I have for Stingley. But other than that, Stingley has had a fantastic season. Uh, but he may again made the big play in this game on the defensive side of the ball. I got to give him a ton of credit. Houston looks smarter and smarter each week with that pick. Uh, so overall, good win for the Texans to get them on the board for the season. Their young guys are coming through. It's time for Jacksonville's young guys to start coming through. That's a perfect segue, Julius, because um, it was Jacksonville's young guys who actually cost them this game. I'm not saying that they would have won in overtime, not saying that they would have had a chance to drive down and win, but a terrible roughing the passer penalty actually gave Mm, mm, the mm. Texans a um, shot at that last Damian Pierce run and drive and getting points and winning the game. So, uh, yeah, so it was just, it was, again, this is just like the Lions. We're about to give Jacksonville some some props and say it's not the same Jaguars and looks like they could win this division, which they still could win this division, but losing to Houston, which this is Houston's ninth consecutive victory over the Jaguars, which was insane stat because uh, Houston's been bad for a while. Um, but uh, so is Jacksonville. So, but still, um, you know, this, this is a game that Trevor Lawrence has to win. If, if he is going to be the first pick of the draft and he's going to, have all these accolades thrown on him. And yes, you and I have said, you know, we can't really judge him off of the urban Meyer year. As you've seen, this organization already looks way more competent than they did last year. Um, but this is a game you have to win. Not only are you at home, it's in the division. It's against the worst team in the division, even though you and I have said that Houston's played every game hard and has had chances to win. Um, but this is one of the games where you can't make those dumb mental mistakes. Like your first overall pick did, uh, there's a lot of first overall picks on this team. To, you can't. You got to pl- start playing better. Um, yeah, shout out to Damian Pierce. That was a heck of a run. Um, again, shout out to Lovey Smith and and just the Houston Texans just playing difficult. I mean, playing hard every game. Um, you know, shout out to them. It, it's it's really it's really great uh, to see them get their first win. Um, moving on to San Francisco at Carolina. Um, this was an absolute massacre of a football game. Uh, Baker Mayfield got a high ankle sprain, but, um, he's going to be out for a few weeks, but it doesn't really matter who's quarterbacking this Panthers team. Um, this team is just a bad team. San Francisco completely demolished them, even though they've had a lot of injuries on defense. Um, so we'll see what happens with the 49ers moving forward. Uh, but they have a lot of lot of injuries on defense, and we'll see if Jimmy Garoppolo can lead them to more victories. Uh, you know, they got 37 points in this game, but that one was a defensive touchdown. Um, you know, so Jeff Wilson Jr. had another hundred yard game. So just it was a it was a good game overall for San Francisco. Bad game by Carolina. They fired Matt Rule as Julius called and as I called in the preseason podcast that they would definitely. He would get fired this year, um, <clears throat> but just a just a beat down by a better team to a worse team. Oh boy! Well, well, what can you say about this game? This game, unfortunately, well, we've talked about some games that didn't go as expected this week. Uh, this game did go as expected, and you know it, it, the time is running out quickly on Baker Mayfield, and you know Matt Rule's already been fired and like I said I I did predict that he'd be the first coach to be fired this year and it just goes to show you know again I've talked about the importance of the quarterback position being overvalued but you do need competence at the position you do need somebody who's not going to be mistake prone at the position 
And when you bet your future, like Matt Rule did, on Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, this is the result you get. You get fired. It's just not a surprise. You need a quarterback that's not going to make those mistakes. Uh, you look at the pick six that Baker Mayfield threw in this game, it wasn't like it was perfect coverage or a great play or somebody made an incredible catch. The ball was thrown a mile over Christian McCaffrey's head, thrown perfectly to Emmanuel Mosley, who got to catch it like a like a middle infielder, you know, catching a, a throw from a catcher to tag out or a, a running back uh, to tag out somebody trying to steal a base. That that's what that play looked like. Emmanuel Mosley runs that back for a touchdown. And Baker Mayfield, who injured his shoulder last year trying to tackle somebody on an interception, hasn't learned his lesson yet, still got in the way at the goal line and got ran over for no reason. Stop being a speed bump on these interceptions. If you're going to throw these interceptions, at least preserve yourself. I mean, maybe it won't matter after this year because you're going to be a backup anyway, but I don't understand Baker Mayfield continually putting himself in the line of fire in these games. Uh, I do have to shout out Tevin Coleman. That, that, <laughs> I didn't even realize Tevin Coleman was on the active roster, to, to be honest, until this game started. And Coleman comes through with a touchdown for the 49ers, as well as an impressive catch on the sidelines, uh, going over a defender and coming down with a nice catch. Uh, Coleman's impact on this game was uh, certainly more than expected, and it was needed because it was clear that after the injuries in the 49ers' backfield, outside of Jeff Wilson Jr., they didn't trust anybody. So the 49ers get a trusted running back, maybe not a good running back anymore, kind of a washed running back in Tevin Coleman, but they've got somebody they trust in that backfield outside of Wilson so they can actually give Wilson a breather here and there. I think that's big for this team moving forward. But, but like you said, once again, injuries continue to be the story for the 49ers. Emmanuel Bosley, I talked about him getting that pick six. He's going to be out for the season with a knee injury. Uh, Jimmy Ward, who has had his share of injuries throughout his career, He's hurt. He's got a hand injury. He may be able to play through it, may not. But uh, either way, you don't like to see it. And I mean, even Robbie Gold got injured in this game. And I, I don't know what's happening to kickers this year. But there's been way too many kicker injuries going on this year. Uh, you know, Butker gets hurt for the Chiefs in the first game. It's just been downhill for kickers since. Uh, Austin Seibert for the Lions missed the game. Uh, both kickers in the Eagles Cardinals game uh, were replacement kickers. I, I don't know what's going on around the league, but you've seen a lot of kicker injuries for some reason. And yeah, Robbie Gold is kind of the latest one to go down. Uh, shout out to the uh, punter for actually making an extra point. He missed his first one, but redeemed himself with another one. You can experiment with extra points when you're playing against the Panthers. But uh, yeah, these kicking uh, injuries are way out of control right now. All right, next game actually kind of played the way I expected it to. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys pulling off of 22-10 to 10 win in Los Angeles against the Rams. A uh, couple things to point out in this game. One, uh, the continued thought that even though the Rams are the defending champions, every time they play at home, it seems like the other team's got more fans. I mean, <laughs> that's something that has kind of haunted the Rams this year. And, and as a result, the Rams, well, I won't say as a result, but it kind of feeds into the idea that the Rams just not have not played well at home this year. Uh, the reason I thought this game would turn out the way it did is because we've talked time and time again about this offensive line for the Rams and how much they'd miss Andrew Whitworth. And, and they, they are really, really feeling it. And you put this offensive line that had its struggles against the Cowboys defensive front and the type of pressure that they've been putting on quarterbacks all season long, that this was the result you were going to get uh, from the first possession of the game. You had Stafford get sacked, lose the ball, and the Cowboys ran it back for a touchdown. The Cowboys put nine points on the board. Should have been 10, but there was miscommunication on the extra point. 
uh, put up nine points on the board before they got an offensive first down. Uh, that's how dominant the defense and special teams have been for the Cowboys this year. And I got to throw special teams in there uh, because of the, you know, the block punt to set up the field goal and because of Brett Maher. He has been great. I don't know what he learned uh, between his first time kicking for Dallas and now, but Brett Maher has become one of the most reliable kickers in football. And uh, for an offense that has had its struggles, uh, for an offense that has barked down when it's gotten into scoring range, uh, Brett Maher has become a weapon for this team. So uh, shout out to the defense and special teams for the Cowboys. I personally thought Micah Parsons should have been pulled from this game once he had a groin issue. He's just way too valuable to this team to keep going out there uh, against a team that was overmatched anyway. I mean, the Rams only had one big play uh, to Cooper Cup. Of course, Cooper Cup beating Trayvon Diggs on a long touchdown catch. But outside of that one play, uh, the Rams weren't able to produce anything. So I just thought you, you, know, you didn't need Micah Parsons in this game, but Micah Parsons is just, he's just built so differently uh, that even with a groin issue, even with him hobbling around and having to ride on a stationary bike and all of that, it looks like he can barely move. Then when the ball snap, he's literally throwing right tackles out of the way and getting to the quarterback for sacks. That, that guy's amazing. Um, as for the Rams, you know, they, they are continue to have their struggles. I, I'll leave most of the Ram talking to you. That's the team that you highlighted in a not so good way to start the season. And they have lived down to your expectations so far. Uh, the one thing I will say about the Rams is, you know, the same way I talk about Ron Rivera, I, I, I don't like what Sean McVay did here. Sean McVay went out of his way to say, oh, yeah, Matthew Stafford's playing great. Matthew Stafford's doing this. Matthew Stafford's doing that. We, we got to find a way to, to, to help him. No, 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 no. As a coach, you got to put your bromance with Stafford aside. I, I know that you went out of your way to trade for him and you would have given the Lions whatever they wanted to get Matthew Stafford and, and you won a Super Bowl with him, so it's all worth it in the end. But this nonsense has got to stop. Matthew Stafford led the league in interceptions last year and is tied for the league lead again this year. If, it, if, if there's a lot of quarterbacks I could name that if they were leading the league in interceptions this long, they'd be on the bench. Matthew Stafford is a huge part of the problem right now. His inability to protect the football for somebody that's been in the league way too long to be turning the ball over at this pace, it, it needs to be called out. Now, I'm not saying the coach needs to be like Rivera and throw his quarterback under the bus. But I am saying that you don't need to come out to press conferences and act like it's the other 52 guys on the roster's fault. Matthew Stafford is part of the problem. And if Sean McVay is not willing to at least address that internally, then Sean McVay is part of the problem as well. Yeah, so the Cowboys, 4-1. and one, um, You know, the Rams look exactly how I thought they would look coming into the year. I know everyone called me crazy. Everyone said you have them ranked too low after coming off of a Super Bowl win. In my eyes, they shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl. I feel like everyone forgets that Matthew Stafford, everyone's like, Matthew Stafford won them a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford should have cost them a chance at the Super Bowl if Tart didn't have bricks for hands. <laughs> Matthew Stafford threw a ball into no man's land where only 49ers were around. Tart has the ball in his hands and then just drops it. If he catches that, the 49ers go back to the Super Bowl. Jimmy G has two Super Bowl appearances on his resume. I feel like people forget that. But because someone can't catch, and then they end up going down and winning like the, the game and going to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl, everyone acts like Matthew Stafford's been playing lights out. 
He hasn't. He's been play. He's been. He's he's an upgrade from Jared Goff. I yes, I agree. He's an upgrade from Jared Goff. But without Odell Beckham Jr. on the field, this man literally says, "Where's Cooper Cup?" Triple teams, throw it to him. Double team, throw it to him. Quadruple team, throw it to him. Allen Robinson is on the field. Really, where? Like this guy doesn't look at any other reads. I feel like. He would rather throw a no-look sideways arm pass to Cooper Cup than a check down to Cam Akers or Darrell Henderson. Like, it just doesn't... The offense... And Sean McVay needs to take some responsibility for that, too, because he's the one calling the plays. Like, it just seems like the Rams' offense is a shell of itself. Um, You know, again, shout-out to the Dallas Cowboys' defense because the fact that you have made Cooper Rush 4-0 and starts this season um, is impressive. Y'all haven't given up 20 points in any of the games that he started. Um, you know, it's it's just really, really impressive what that defense is doing. Um, it makes no sense that the play calling for the play calling for Dallas changes so drastically when Dak's not the quarterback because. In week one, when Dak was the quarterback, they threw it 78% of the time, which means they only ran it 22% of the time. Now that Cooper Rush is in the game, they're running it 60 to 70% of the time. I'm not saying you need to be that drastic when Dak is in, but if your team is built on defense and running, do that. I don't care that you paid Dak all that money. He's a better quarterback than Cooper Rush. He can make more things happen. If your running game is going, you know what the easiest play in professional football is? The play-action pass. Make Dak's life easier. Stop putting it all on his shoulders. I feel like Jerry Jones calls down to the coaches and is like, I paid this man. Make him win games for me. Like, your defense is good enough. You don't need to put up 40 points a game. Would it look good on paper and, and, and for your selling out tickets? Sure, but... Just stick to the philosophy that works. And yeah, the Rams, I knew Whitworth was going to be a huge loss for them. Um, I didn't realize how big of a loss Odell Beckham Jr. was going to be for them because I didn't realize that they weren't even going to target Allen Robinson. Um, You know, Jefferson being injured and not being out there looks like that's having a huge toll on this team as well. Um, We'll see what they look like when everyone gets healthy. We'll see if they re-sign Odell Beckham. Um, But the Rams... at they're lucky they're in the NFC because besides the NFC East, the rest of the NFC is like two and two, two and three, three. And so it's, it's all still available to them to make the playoffs. Cause there's no one else in any of the other divisions that are running away with a five and zero or four and one record. So, um, but shout out to the Cowboys four and one, again, four and zero with Cooper rush did not see that coming. Um, so when Dak gets back healthy, I hope the play calling stays similar and they stay true to this team because you're going to win with your run game and your defense. Don't try to make Dak throw for 500 yards and get and, and win games for you because you clearly have the philosophy and the blueprint in place to win games. Moving on to the Philadelphia-Arizona game where Philly squeaked out a win 2017 against the Cardinals, but in Arizona... Um, you know, Jalen Hurts didn't have his best game, uh, but he still is the best, uh, as Julius likes to say, running back from the one yard line in the league. Um, 
you know, he still got two rushing touchdowns, and they still got the W when they needed it. Um, Kyler Murray made a huge boneheaded play at the end of this game to to potentially lose this game for Arizona. No one can tell if they got closer, even if it was a 25-yard field goal, if Matt Amendola would have made this made the field goal. But uh, just taking that slide where he did, he needs to have a little bit more awareness of the situation and where the game's at because then they get up and spike it in its fourth down. So now you're either going for the game-tying field goal or you're going for it on fourth and one where if you don't get it, you're losing the game anyway. So, um, you know, this game was uh, – <clears throat> You know, the offenses were moving it a little bit. Then there were some penalties and, and the just sloppy offense all the way around. Um, this is a game I thought might have been 40 to 30 or something like that. And for it to be 20 to 17, it was just, you know, kind of sloppy. I, I, I need the Eagles to, to try and get their running backs more involved. I feel like we say that a lot. Um, we saw them like on that like nine minute drive essentially to ice the game. They were doing that and they, and they were running hurts and stuff. But. Um, I would have loved to see them punch it into the end zone too, you know, settling for a field goal right there. Just, you know, I, I wish their play call was a little different in the red zone, but I understand you have Jalen Hurts and you want to try and use his legs and things like that. But, hey, the Eagles are 5-0. and I said they were going to be the best team in the NFC this year. So far, That's it looks, you know, through five weeks, they're the only undefeated team still. So um, definitely feeling the Eagles picks right now. Um, I had Arizona on the outside looking in the playoffs, and and that looks like that's going to happen. When DeAndre Hopkins gets back, this offense may completely do a 180 and become more dynamic with Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore if he gets healthy around the same time that Hopkins is coming back. But um, we'll see what happens because Arizona has definitely been lackluster on the offensive end besides that one comeback against the Raiders. Um, the offense has not looked good all season. You know, I'll, I'll keep harping on this point until I see it change, and that's that this was another game where the Arizona Cardinals didn't score in the first quarter, and they literally have not been able to do that this year. And, we, again, I, I talked about the Titans and how they can't score in the fourth quarter, and you can get away with that against bad teams. You're the Cardinals, it's the same thing. You can get away with that against a bad team like the Raiders and still have a chance to come from behind and win. But you're asking a lot to dig yourself into a hole against a team like the Eagles and think you're going to come back after your offense fails to do anything for another first quarter. Arizona's got to get this together. You know, this is another coach in Cliff Kingsbury. You know, there's so many of these offensive geniuses who are supposed to come in and and make the offense look dynamic. Uh, Kingsbury was literally allowed to handpick his quarterback for this offense. This is a, the quarterback of his dreams going back to when Kyler Murray was in high school. You've got to find a way to put points on the board in the fourth and the first quarter, and you've got to find a way to do it without DeAndre Hopkins having to be the entire savior of this offense. This isn't a Houston Texans situation where you have a Brock Osweiler or a TJ Yates or somebody like that at quarterback. You have a dynamic quarterback. You have a quarterback who has shown Pro Bowl talent, a, a quarterback who has played at an MVP level at least for half a season, so he's shown you some promise. There's something wrong with this offense, and it can't just be uh, just wait till Hopkins gets back. You got to figure it out. You got to figure it out because you know what? What if Hopkins comes back and pulls his hamstring or something? Like you can't just be sitting back relying on one guy to save what looks like a very very weak offense all of a sudden. Uh, As for Philadelphia, I've talked about it. I've said it uh, with Patrick that uh, Jalen Hurts has become the number one goal line running back option in the league. Yet I don't like that. 
I don't like that. And I keep talking about this. I thought it was going to change. I talked about it last week when Jalen Hurst got popped by Devin Lloyd at the goal line. Why are you subjecting this man to these stupid hits? I just don't understand this. The Eagles offense at the goal line this in this game was literally just to put together a rugby scrum and have Jalen Hurts get pushed into the end zone. You have talented running backs. Miles Sanders is a good running back. Kenneth Gainwell is a good running back. The rare opportunities where you give them chances inside the five, they've usually scored throughout the season. I just don't understand why the Eagles, who have made this offense more and more about Jalen Hurts as he continues to show improvement, why you continue to throw him into the line of fire, why you continue to run him directly into 300-pound defensive players, and why you let him get beat up like this when you've got guys on the team who are good players who get paid to make those plays in the running game. I, I, I really don't understand it. I, I hope Jalen Hurts can stay healthy despite this, but it just seems like you can continue to subject subject your quarterback to these hits for no reason each and every week. At some point, it's going to become a problem. Um, as for that last slide to kind of lose this game for Arizona, I have more of a problem with the play call than, than the actual slide from Kyler Murray. It's third now, under a minute to go. You don't have any timeouts left. Why would you call a design quarterback run? It's one thing if Murray was scrambling and then he did that. You call a design run. It was third and eight. It wasn't third and one. So that what would happen if Murray got tackled after five or six yards? You would have been in the same boat. I just don't understand why you decide to play in the middle of the field where, again, you're subjecting your quarterback to getting hit for no reason. And you put them in a, in a position where if he doesn't get the first down, he's going to spike the ball and you're going to kick a field goal with an unreliable kick. It is, it's just another dumb Cliff Kingsbury decision. And it's, again, the kind of thing that happens when you're a bad team. When good teams face bad teams, this is the kind of stuff that tends to happen. A good team kind of finds a way to win, and they just let the bad team make the crucial mistake. And so the one thing I will say uh, for Kyler Murray is now that the league has adopted this rule, because, again, we're, we're about not letting quarterbacks get hit as much as we can, they've adopted the rule. Uh, where if you slide head first, the play is over. Just like it would be if you slide feet first. But if you slide head first, if you look at that Kyler Murray slide, if he slides in the exact same spot head first, he gets the first down. So that's something for Kyler Murray and his other quarterbacks to keep in mind. That half-yard difference that you get from sliding head first, knowing that the, the play is going to be blown dead regardless, back in the day, I'm old enough to remember, Patrick's old enough to remember, if you went down head first, you were not down. Now you are. As long as you've shown that you give yourself up, you are down if you go head first. So go get that extra half yard. Sometimes it might even be a full yard difference uh, based on how the way the referees spot these balls uh, in those situations. So slide head first. I think it protects you as well a little better. I've seen some of these quarterbacks get hit high in the head on these slides because they're going down right at the last second in front of a defender that's been waiting all game to hit them. So I, I would teach all my quarterbacks, if you're going to slide, slide head first because there's just too many uh, advantages to doing so. So that may be something to keep in mind moving forward. But, you know, ultimately, the Eagles come away at this game still undefeated. And I'm very, very much looking forward to an Eagles-Cowboys showdown next Sunday night. You can thank Eli Manning for the head first uh, being down by without contact rule because I remember vividly him scrambling, tripping on his feet, falling down. <laughs> And the refs say he gave himself up because he fumbled 
and they, they picked it up and returned for a touchdown, and there was all this big controversy. So Eli Manning always proven and putting his, you know, firm grip on the NFL game, you know, just beating Tom Brady twice, head first slides, being down, being de- ruled down for quarterbacks now. Innovation. All right, next game we're going to get into is the Sunday night game. The Baltimore Ravens knocking off the Cincinnati Bengals 19-17 uh, thanks to a last-second field goal by, and I, I hesitate to say GOAT because it is just not provable in most situations, but I, I think it's fair to say that this game was ended by the GOAT, Justin Tucker. I mean, uh, this is one of those games where even when Cincinnati took the late lead, uh, I'm, I'm watching this game with family, and I'm, I'm telling them, if the Ravens get to midfield, <laughs> you feel like they're going to win this game because Justin Tucker is just that good. So uh, for the Ravens to get well within field goal range at the end of this game, you knew Justin Tucker would go ahead and put this thing away. Um, this game was a game where you're looking forward to a showdown between two really dynamic quarterbacks and Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow, and it just didn't live up to expectations. Uh, Lamar Jackson made some plays here and there, as he always does, but uh, he certainly left a lot of meat on the bone, uh, particularly when he missed Tyler Wallace wide, wide open on a fourth down play. And that was a play that Lamar asked for. Okay, I, I don't know if, if Harbaugh was going to decide to go for fourth down, but Harbaugh has historically over the last few years kind of given Lamar Jackson enough leeway to say, hey, I want to go for it. And most of the time it has paid off. Most of the time Lamar gets the job done, whether it be with his arm or with his legs. Uh, he makes those fourth down conversions happen and, and makes Harbaugh look smart. Uh, you know, those fourth down plays at the ends of games have gone against the Ravens, but during the course of the game, uh, the Ravens do convert a lot of fourth downs. So it was disappointing to see Lamar miss that throw and miss a couple of throws where you looked at it and said, okay, if you put a little more air on the ball, under the ball, uh, that he could have uh, made some things happen and not overthrown those receivers. Uh I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like in some situations, particularly when Jackson is throwing the ball to his right, he seems to have a tendency to kind of change his throwing motion to something like a shot put kind of motion where he almost switches his feet and his back foot kind of ends up beside his front foot. And it's just just a weird looking motion. And it seems like whenever he throws the ball like that, he tends to get that on the line throw that ends up going too far. So I uh, just got to see him air it out a little more. I think that's something that's an easy adjustment, something that he's already been working on. I think just fell into a bad habit there. And I, I think that's very correctable. But I did have to acknowledge that Lamar Jackson, who was, was having a tremendous year, but he he missed some opportunities to uh, really put this game away and uh, take out Cincinnati early. Uh, as for Joe Burrow, uh, you're looking at this game, you're looking at Joe Burrow, and you're saying, okay, Burrow – had a career season off of just games against the Ravens last year. I mean, he lit up the Ravens in a way that not just nobody's ever lit up the Ravens defense, but we might not ever see a quarterback have two games against one opponent in a season uh, like the two games Burrow had against the Ravens last year. So to come into this game and to see him coming in against the Ravens defense that has struggled at times, a Ravens defense that has not consistently put pressure on the passer. So Burrow didn't have to worry about that aspect of it. And a Ravens secondary that's been burnable, particularly with their younger players that they've had to play. I just had higher expectations for what uh, Joe Burrow would do in this game. And from the beginning of this game, you just aren't seeing the shots to Jamar Chase that you saw last year. 
It's a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage, near the line of scrimmage. The first two plays of the game were literally screen passes to Chase on opposite sides, where Chase is catching the ball at the line of scrimmage. And when you look at Chase this year, a, a lot of people had Chase being a top five wide receiver this year, and it, it just hasn't happened. There just has not been those explosive plays. He's, he's almost been a possession receiver. And when you watch this team, it's been mostly T. Higgins that's been coming up with the big plays in the passing game. And Higgins came into this game with an injury, wasn't able to finish this game. And it's like when Higgins came out the game, all of a sudden, this team couldn't push the ball down the field. The times where they tried to, it was Mike Thomas before it was Jamar Chase. So I don't know what's going on with that situation, why we're not seeing Jamar Chase go down the field at all. But that's something that's going to have to be explained to me. I'm not a fan of Zach Taylor. And, and I've said that for a while. A lot of people gave him so much credit last year for that Super Bowl run. Still not a fan of his. I don't like some of the play calling he made at the goal line, uh, particularly, you know, the shovel pass he tried. You're not Patrick Mahomes. This isn't the Andy Reid offense. You're not going to pull that play off. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know who that pass was to at the goal line. It was just thrown into the middle of the Ravens defensive line. So I'm not sure what that was about. But uh, for a game that featured two of the most high-profile quarterbacks in the league, two of the top ten quarterbacks in the league, it was just disappointing to see uh, so much inconsistency from both offenses in this game. Uh, one curiosity in this game for me was J.K. Dobbins. Uh, J.K. Dobbins came back uh, from injury a couple weeks ago, looked pretty good last week, scored a couple touchdowns last week. J.K. Dobbins was absent from this game, like the whole second half. And I'm trying to figure out why. Uh, Kenyon Drake, who basically had been phased out of the offense since uh, the backfield started getting healthy. And the only reason Drake got activated uh, essentially was because of the injury to Justice Hill. He ended up taking over the game and, and Mike Davis got back involved. I, I just I just don't know why they decided to pull J.K. Dobbins. I thought it was some injury aggravation or something, but I have not seen any reports on that. If anybody could explain to me where J.K. Dobbins went last night, uh, that, that would help me out. But I, I don't know what that was about. Um, and last note for me, Marcus Williams gets hurt in this game. I uh, talked about how vulnerable the Ravens secondary has been for most of the season, how many big plays they've given up before last night. Last night, they stepped up and played pretty well. But Marcus Williams being hurt, he's been a true leader in that secondary. Uh, and he's playing, again, the most important position in football. That's going to be tough for them to see what they do moving forward. I have noticed that the Ravens have given somebody like Pepe Williams more playing time than they've given Kyle Hamilton in, uh, in recent games. My guy, Kyle Hamilton, hasn't been able to play much uh, by coach's decision. And so I don't know if this Marcus Williams situation forces Kyle Hamilton, who has looked a little lost at times this year. Does it force him back into the lineup? Do they trust him at all? Or do they decide to go out of the organization and try to pick up somebody off the street? I don't know what the Ravens do with that. But Marcus Williams is a huge loss after they invested so much in him in the offseason. So my other uh, worst of first team, the Baltimore Ravens, are now in first. So, you know, I'm looking pretty good with my predictions there with the Giants and Ravens. Um, and I also had Ravens winning the AFC North and Julius had the Bengals. So this is also just another little win for me right now, a little tiebreaker action going into this. So, um, I'll start with the Bengals. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said, Julius. Um, and I was definitely going to highlight that T Higgins has been the offense this year. Um, it seemed like as soon as he came out of the game, re-aggravated that ankle, hamstring, thigh, whatever it was. I know it was. I know he had an ankle injury coming in. I don't know if he re-aggravated that or if it was something else with his leg. But 
this offense then the games that he has not been in just seems to fall apart. Um, I think we can finally say Joe Burrow is a little overhyped, and we just need to calm down on the Joe Burrow train. And I'm not saying he didn't have one of the greatest college football seasons I've ever seen in my life, because he did. And for anyone to say that he didn't is, is an idiot. But just like Tim Tebow or Cam Newton or any of the guys who have had amazing college football careers or seasons, that doesn't mean that's going to translate to the NFL. And... Um, Joe Burrow just I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I don't want anyone to overreact and say I'm saying that he sucks, but I just don't think he's Patrick Mahomes or, you know, Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson. Like he's just not on that level yet. And that's okay. It's his third year in the league and essentially his second because his rookie year was done after like four games. So, you know, it's okay. And I know Julius is a big proponent of this. It's okay to let guys develop. It's okay to give quarterbacks time. I understand he was the first overall pick, but guess what? You it's not going to come to you in one year. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the outlier. Peyton Manning was terrible his first year in the NFL. Right? And so let's just give, and he's an all-time great. He is a all-time great quarterback. Some people argue he's the greatest quarterback of all time. So even he struggled in his first year in the league. So let's all just pump the brakes and let people develop, especially quarterbacks, um, you know, and you gotta stop blaming this offensive line. You know, I, I know I got on this offensive line looking lost, looking like they're not a cohesive unit trying to learn how each other plays. But we're five weeks in now. Joe Burrow sits back there and pats the ball a lot. And and, and just mm-hmm. and you can say it's going through progressions, you can say whatever you want it to say. I think that sometimes he's waiting for Jamar Chase to get open or to make a play or to get past his guy and and I just think Jamar Chase isn't getting as much separation this year because people are playing him a little differently because now you have a whole year of tape on him. And that does matter. Um, and also, Jamar Chase against the Ravens last year, I know Julius brought this up, he caught a lot of slants that he took 80 yards to the house by poor tackling and just poor. So, you know, <clears throat> it's not always the 80-yard fly route that he was beating people with last year. He was catching a lot of 15-yard, 10-yard routes and then taking them to the house. So um, for people who drafted Jamar Chase above Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup in their fantasy leagues, I'm sorry. That is not panning out for for you through five weeks. Um, but this offense, again, I'm not a huge Zach Taylor fan either. I'm with Julius on this. Um, and his comments two weeks ago when he said, you know, y'all just got to let our offense, you know, get together. Because when Joe Burrow got hurt, he said, this offense will click once we get the personnel. And he kind of doubled down on that two weeks ago, where he was like, when we get our personnel and we get everyone flowing, our offense is going to click. Your offense was clicking last year, apparently, with a, with a crappy offensive line, according to everybody. And the same receivers and the same, like Joe Mixon, he's had the lowest rush yards attempt before last night, because he kind of had some big runs last night. But... He had the lowest rushing yards per attempt in the NFL. He was averaging 2.7 yards a carry. That's terrible. So it's not only, it has to be your scheme. It has to be your play calls because the fact that Joe Burrow isn't looking good, the the offense just doesn't look good besides a couple big plays to T. Higgins this year. The offense has looked terrible. So, moving on to the Ravens, who won. This was Lamar Jackson's worst game of the season. Um, And I've seen a lot of Ravens fans overreact and talk about, we don't need to pay him, we can let him go. 
use the best kicker ever, which I agree. I think Justin Tucker is the greatest kicker of all time. Um, and he knows it, which is also makes it more fun. Um, don't get me wrong. Lamar Jackson missed some throws tonight. He was also without Rashad Bateman, his number one wide receiver, which also makes things a little different. People are acting like the receivers they had on the field tonight are getting reps with Lamar Jackson. They're not besides Duvernay. Um, and you can tell there was a lot of bad passes, a lot of, a lot of looks like some receivers were in the wrong area. But again, this is Lamar Jackson's worst game of the season, and the Ravens still won. The Ravens should have beat the Dolphins. Lamar Jackson had a historic game, and people were still mad at Lamar Jackson in that game. So <coughs> well, I've come to the realization that no matter what Lamar Jackson does, even if he wins four MVPs you know, in a row, nothing will ever be good enough for people. And, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with because of how athletic he is and how he plays the quarterback position. And, unfortunately, his skin color. Because I don't... I, I sit here and I try to put myself in other people's shoes and I try to not make it about race and I try to be like, how can people not like Lamar Jackson? What does Lamar Jackson do that makes you so mad? Because guess what? Every quarterback misses throws. We talked about how Josh Allen looked in the Ravens game. He looked terrible. We talk about the play that Josh Allen did in the Bills-Miami game, where he completely underthrew the guy that could have won the game. Right, Julius? We talked about this. Yep. yep. He couldn't spike a ball. He completely underthrows a game-winning, you know, first down, game-winning touch. Like, Short optic. Yeah, and, 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 and he does not get killed in the media. Lamar Jackson won a football game, and he's <laughs> still getting killed in the media and by fans of the team. I just don't... I don't understand. Josh Allen is the leading runner on the Bills, and no one's sitting there complaining about how much he runs or or his athletic abilities or what he does at the quarterback position. Like they're all caught saying he's the next greatest quarterback in the league, and even though Patrick Mahomes is still in the league, but like I, I'm just starting to realize that it will when Lamar Jackson could sit in the pocket and throw it 45 times a game, throw for 350 yards every game, and people still would not <laughs> like what he does. Um, same thing with Jalen Hurts. I I thought Jalen Hurts just needed a few years in the offense being the guy, which he finally did get last year. He got playoff experience. It was a bad playoff game by him, but he's young. And and Philly fans, I know a lot of Philly fans, they're ready to write him off. We're not gonna do anything with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. And I'm like, y'all gotta give this kid some time. Like he got benched at Alabama when Tua showed up and won the championship. He went to Oklahoma, had a great season at Oklahoma. Gets into the league, comes in because Wentz gets hurt, and like he was winning games, and y'all were so y'all made the playoffs. Y'all didn't even look like a good enough team to make the playoffs, and he got y'all to the playoffs last year. So I just don't understand. Again, <laughs> I think it's quarterbacks who can scramble, who are more athletic. It just doesn't make sense to me. Again, Jalen Hurts is a black quarterback. Lamar Jackson is a black quarterback. I'm not saying that there are aren't bad black quarterbacks because there are, but. I feel like bad and mediocre white quarterbacks get a lot more time and a lot more excuses in the NFL than a guy who's won MVP. Some people would still want Baker Mayfield above Lamar Jackson. Like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. They were arguing about this on ESPN. Who would you rather build your team around, Lamar Jackson or Joe Burrow? And they were taking Joe Burrow because he took a team to the Super Bowl. 
I'm tired of everyone saying quarterbacks are the only reason why teams win games. This is football is the ultimate team game. <laughs> and yes, you need a Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. Is anyone saying they're gonna take Trent Dilfer over these guys? Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Are we saying we're taking Brad Johnson as a great quarterback? No, you don't need a great quarterback to win football games. You don't need a great quarterback to win a Super Bowl. It's been proven. So I'm just I'm just tired of it. And that was my rant of the day. I'm sorry. Yeah, I appreciate your thoughts, Patrick, on on that whole situation and definitely agree with a lot of your points. And there are unfortunate factors that go into how people perceive certain quarterbacks. If they feel like the quarterback doesn't look like the way a professional quarterback should look, or it doesn't play the way a professional quarterback should play. It's, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate part of the game. It seems to not only affect fans, but referees as well. So we're getting that into that too. But uh, for now, we'll get into my rant for tonight which is the Raiders and Chiefs game. There's a reason why, as a Raiders fan, and I am, I'm not even going to pretend to, to be, you know, completely unbiased with this, because I, I do have an investment in this as a Raiders fan. I'm just not surprised. There was no excitement for me when the Raiders had a 17-0 lead in this game, because I'm just thinking, we are the same team that Mahomes put up 28 points in a quarter against. <laughs> we... We just don't know how to close games. And this comes down to uh, ultimately what I've talked about before. And yes, there were some idiotic calls in this game, some definite blow the whistle type calls in this game uh, that went both ways. But ultimately, when you look at it at the end of the day, and I'll say it again, good teams find ways to win. People can keep calling the Chiefs lucky and this and that. Well, the Chiefs been getting lucky ever since Patrick Mahomes became the star. Uh, at some point, it's not about luck anymore. At the end of the day, good teams find a way to win these kind of games. Bad teams find a way to lose these kind of games. I still don't know what happened on that defensive holding call against Malcolm Kuntz on, on a field goal. I, I don't understand why a defensive player would even hold on a field goal attempt. It's not like you're trying to stop somebody from getting off the line of scrimmage on a field goal attempt. You're trying to get around them or over them or something. So I don't know why you would hold them. I, I, I just... Don't get anything about that call or why that would even come up with the field goal. Uh, that aside, uh, the Raiders caught a break in this game with uh, a silly, silly roughing the passer call where uh, apparently Chris Jones was supposed to defy gravity and defy physics to not land on Derek Carr on a perfectly executed strip sack. Even as a Raiders fan, I got to say that was a horrendous call. And it was just a gift uh, as, as far as as far as that goes. But um yeah, that and the holding on the field goal kind of nullify each other. Just one horrendous call deserving another. But referees aside, you got to look at some of the trends that have happened with the Raiders this year. Uh, Daniel Carlson, who, in my opinion, is, is the best kicker in the league this side of Justin Tucker. Like, there's Justin Tucker and everybody else. But Daniel Carlson, to me, is at the head of the everybody else part. Daniel Carlson has 15 field goals this year now, including the field goals he made tonight. Uh, this is a team that settles way too often for field goals. Got to find a way to finish drives better, uh, especially with the offensive personnel that the Raiders have at the skill positions. You just got to find a way. You're, you're moving down the field. You're not finishing off drives. The bottom line is when you're kicking three and four field goals, again, that's good enough to beat bad teams. It's good enough to beat a Denver off offense that can't find itself right now. But when you're going against teams that can actually put points on the board, you got to score more touchdowns and field goals. 
That's just that's just the way it is. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, the Raiders, who are in the AFC West, so you would think they would know this, but the Raiders seem to be the last team in the league to understand that Travis Kelsey might be a weapon in the red zone. Might want to put people on him. I don't. I just it's it's this kind of stuff. You can't let the ace of the team beat you every single time. Now, Travis Kelsey's an excellent tight end, probably the best receiving tight end in the game still, even though he just had a birthday, just turned, I believe, 33. So he's getting up there in age a little bit, but he's still as good as it gets at the tight end position as a receiver. You might want to put people on him. How is he wide open on the fourth touchdown? When do you learn? So I, I can't even get mad, but so mad at, at referees, because what are you doing? Why can't you put anybody on Travis Kelsey? How, how many years? It's been a decade now. How many years does Travis Kelsey have to dominate you before you realize maybe we should give him some defensive attention, particularly now? Uh, <laughs> with, with the other receivers who didn't come through and make plays in this game, maybe focus on Travis Kelsey just a little bit. You lost this game literally to Travis Kelsey by himself. That, that That's how this game felt. So... Uh, that that's painful to watch. These two point conversions, when you have again the most reliable kicker this side of Justin Tucker. I, if you had a struggling kicker, I understand it more. If you go for two, uh, this felt like there was no faith, no confidence in the team. Like we're scared of Kansas City. We don't want the potential of going to overtime with Kansas City. So we're gonna go for two right now. And not only are we gonna go for two, but we're gonna call the play as conservative as we can. We're just gonna stuff Josh Jacobs up the middle. You know, just again, I'm I'm sorry. Good teams find a way to win. Bad teams find a way to lose. That was exemplified in this game. When Kansas City goes for two, when it doesn't work out, they still figure out a way to win. Las Vegas, they go for two, and it doesn't work out. They find a way to lose. And in typical Raiders fashion, because this is the kind of stuff that would happen to the Raiders. You still have another opportunity to win the game. You have what looks like a long catch by Devontae Adams to get in the Daniel Carlson range that for some reason he couldn't control in bounds. And then on the last play of the game, you just have two receivers run into each other. Committed pass interference on your own teammate. Only the Raiders. I don't even understand why in that situation you would even have two routes that cross over each other. Whoa. What are you coming up with in that situation? So it's, it's, it's a comedy of errors. Again, you, know, you can sit there and point to the referees and say they made some stupid calls in this game. They sure did. But it's a comedy of errors. It's a consistent lack of execution, a lack of any type of plan from the head coach. Everything, everything that you can do wrong, pretty much, in a game where you score 29 points, as much as you can do wrong, the Raiders did. It's, it's, it's just painful to watch. It's painful to watch this time and time again. But it's one of those. It's painful, but it's not because if you're like me, you, you, you expect it. So that's why I said when we were up seventeen nothing, I'm still sitting there like, all right, wake me up if we're up thirty eight to nothing. Then I'll feel safe. Anything short of that, no, because this team just finds a way to blow it time and time again. This team deserves to be one and four, even in an underachieving division. They are fulfilling my prophecy of being the worst team in this division, and one and four. Honestly, this seems lucky to be one and four with some of the with some of the way they've played football and some of their lack of execution down the stretch of these games. I'm I'm gonna let it go there and just get get my get my breath together, get my heart rate back down. But it's it's just 
I'm I'm not even mad at this point. I'm just annoyed because you could see it coming from a mile away. So, which was a a good game, um, overshadowed by just terrible calls all the way around. I feel like Josh McDaniels went for two just out of spite to Andy Reid trying to go for two on them to go up by nine instead of kicking the extra point to go by eight. I feel like Josh McDaniels was just like, oh, you're going to go for two? I'm going to go for two. Because going for two there makes no sense. You actually have outplayed the Chiefs all night. And I know that you are one and three in this game before losing this game to go to one and four. Um, You actually outplayed the Chiefs all night. Um, And so I would have had faith to try to go into overtime or your defense got to stop, which actually gave you a chance to go down and win the game. But guess what? Now you have to try and win the game where you would have been tied. And if you don't win the game, you're going into overtime, which is what happened. You lost by one point. Um, I don't understand it. When you're a bad team, I'm taking the guaranteed points and trying to go to overtime and get a a W. This wasn't like it was the Houston Texans about to beat the Chiefs. This is a division game. You need this win. Um, If I'm Josh McDaniels, I I would be worried about getting fired. I, I think he should be on the hot seat. He's made some terrible calls. The coaching has been really bad for this team. Um, they shouldn't have lost the Cardinals game. There's just a lot of games that, you know, I know Joy said they're lucky to be 1-4, but they're also unlucky to be 1-4 because there's games they sh- have left on the table that should have been W's. Um, Patrick Mahomes looked good again tonight, as he always does. Um, yeah, he missed some throws, but he made some great throws as well. Um, Perryman for the Raiders should be cut. He shouldn't even be allowed to get onto the plane on the way home. He missed Travis Kelsey twice on two of the Kelsey touchdowns where he literally just fell at his feet and couldn't make a tackle. Um, he made some terrible angles. Uh, it, it just He missed a lot of tackles tonight. I don't know how he's a starter, uh, but he is. But um, he missed a lot of easy tackles tonight. Um I don't know how you leave Travis Kelsey open for four touchdowns. It wasn't like any of his touchdowns were really contested. On the one that was kind of contested, he caught it and then just ran back across the field and stiff-armed and touched only one guy. It looked like there was a bunch of guys that were going to try to make tackles, but only one guy actually tried to tackle him. So, um, you know, yes, the roughing the passer call was awful. Um, And this is my big gripe with officials, and and I'll save it for the the blow-the-whistle segment, but... I say this all the time, and I know um, Julius agrees with me. Officials are there to help officiate the game and and to make the calls when they're needed, but you cannot determine the outcome of a game, or you should not be able to determine the outcome of the game. The Chiefs miss a field goal. It would have been 24-23. They call a holding on a defender on a field goal attempt. All he did was stand there. If anyone was holding, it was the Chiefs guy. It is one of the worst calls I've ever seen. The Chiefs then turn around and come down and get a touchdown. Instead of the Raiders being down by one, they're down by seven. Which they did get a touchdown on a beautiful throw by Derek Carr on the run to Devontae Adams. But then Josh McDaniels goes for two. Like This game was just terrible all the way around by some of the decisions that were made. I don't know why you run Josh Jacobs right up the middle. I think if Jacobs bounced it to the outside, he might have gotten the two-point conversion, but he ran right into every single body. Um, yeah, running, I don't know why on a fourth and one, 
Um, they try to do a double post where the routes cross each other. Um, you know you're going to be blitzed. Do you have time to even set that up? I feel like they were just trying to go for the touchdown on a fourth and one instead of just trying to get the one yard. Uh, doesn't really make any sense. Um, <clears throat> I don't under I I don't understand it. Um, but yeah, this just this game. Um, was just terrible all the way around by some of the calls the officials made, some of the coaching decisions. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that didn't make sense to me. All right, now we're about to blow the whistle. Um, I know I have a lot, and I'm sure Julius has a lot, so we'll just get right into it. Um, First and foremost, I'm blowing the whistle on the officials. Officiating has to stop determining games, and bad officiating at that. The non-offsides call in the Maryland Terrapins game when it's a Big Ten game and this could have taken the Terps to 4-1 and one, is egregious. The guy is offsides by a mile and he's the one that blocks the extra point. It ended up costing the Terps. The Terps ended up driving the length of the field, but guess what? They had to go for two now. After Purdue essentially should have won the game, they didn't. The Terps offense runs down and gets a touchdown. They didn't go for two. Get the two-point conversion initially. There's a BS uh, illegal man downfield call. It was on the two-yard line. How's the, how's the man downfield? How's he illegally downfield? So then the Terps have to redo the two-point conversion they just got. And they don't get it. And they don't go to overtime. But guess what? You wouldn't have had to kick the two if there wasn't a BS blocked extra point. Moving to the NFL. We've already talked about the roughing the passer on Tom Brady. Terrible call. Essentially cost the Falcons that game. Holding on a field goal kick where you're the person who is trying to get in and block the field goal, never seen it in my life, essentially gave the Chiefs seven extra points. Well, it was six because they went for two. But still, gave them a touchdown and essentially had the Raiders lose the game. Um, terrible, terrible roughing the passer in, in the Raiders-Chiefs game where that would have been a strip sack fumble for the Chiefs. Who knows what that would have done? The Raiders got three points out of that possession. Ended up not mattering. But officials really need to stop having such an impact over games. This is the whole Tim Donahue stuff all over again with the NBA. You can't control game. You shouldn't have this much power as an official. It's infuriating. There's really bad calls that are being made that are costing people jobs and wins and money and all the stuff that it costs. It's, it's more than just a W at the end of the day for a lot of people. Um, we already kind of talked about it. Uh, I'm blowing the whistle on Walker, Trayvon Walker, the Jags first round pick. It was third and 20. They blow the whistle. He decides to take Davis Mills and slam him to the ground, literally whipped him around and threw him on the ground like a ragdoll for no reason. That probably cost the Jags that game. Um, don't know if, you know, well, Houston wouldn't have driven on a third and 20. They wouldn't have gotten the first down most likely. They're punting it back to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and maybe they drive down and get a field goal to win the game. That didn't happen. Um, I talked about this already. I'm blowing the whistle on Minka Fitzpatrick for letting Gabe Davis sun him in the end zone for that ball. Um, that that was terrible. Uh, you know, I'm blowing the whistle on the Giants training staff. Did you not take the blue tent with you to London? Because you should not. 
be rubbing some guy's thigh down with his pants down in the middle of a game where everyone can see. Uh, that was awful. Um, blue tents are there for a reason. Please use them. <clears throat> and lastly, and this is our first blow the whistle for Major League Baseball, I'm blowing the whistle on the Toronto Blue Jays. You cannot have an 8-1 to lead, 9-1 to lead, and blow it in a in a game in a game that decides so much for you. Your fans deserve more. That was just an epic collapse. Um it was just really really bad. So I'm, uh, that's those are my blow the whistles for this week. Uh good calls on blowing the whistle, uh, particularly with Trayvon Walker. I, I didn't talk about him during my recap of the Jaguars game, but I, I have no idea what he was doing. I mean that that was <laughs> He looked like he was trying to be a, a heel in a wrestling episode. Like, I'm, I'm just throw this guy down way after the play is over and then walk around, like, like right in front of the referees, walking around like I'm proud of what I just did. <laughs> like, most of these guys, if they do something that stupid, they'll put their hands up or something. This man was like, yeah, throw it on me. So, so since he wants the flag thrown on him, he gets the whistle blown on him. How about that for bars? Now, we'll get into my blow the whistle section. I'm blowing the whistle on Jerome Boger. The call itself was bad enough. The fact that you let Tom Brady walk up to you and tell you to throw the flag and you do it is bad enough. And, you know, Patrick, you you mentioned Tim Donahue, and, and I'm sorry, it looks like that when a player can walk up to you, especially Tom Brady, because he has a history of this, when a player can walk up to you and say, excuse me, I'm Tom Brady, I need a flag, and you oblige, that looks bad for the league. I'm blowing the whistle on that, but I'm also blowing the whistle on the, quote, explanation we were given. Jerome Boger has the nerve, the unmitigated gall, to come out in front of the American people and say, I threw the flag because Tom Brady was essentially unnecessarily taken down. It is football. It is not flag football. It is not touch football. This is professional, full-contact football. Taking people to the ground is necessary. Throwing the person with the ball to the ground is necessary. What are you talking about? It was an unnecessary way to, to throw him to the ground. It was very necessary. It was necessary to give the Falcons any shot in competing in this game. So don't treat us like we're idiots with these explanations. I've said this before with some of these things. Don't insult our intelligence with the stupidity of your explanation that you give in a press conference or any post-game interview or conversation. Don't do that to us. So I'm blowing the whistle there. Blowing the whistle on Detroit for one of their fourth down play calls. You cannot, and I, I, I am just not a fan of it. if it's fourth down. I don't mind you going for fourth down. You got to come up with something good. And if you're going to go for fourth and two, it might behoove you to throw a two-yard pass, not a .5-yard pass. That's what they threw on fourth and two, a half-a-yard pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. And by the way, what is Bill Belichick known for more than anybody else around the league? King on your number one guy. So with the whole world knowing you're going to Amon Ross St. Brown, you don't even have him run to the sticks for a first down. So, of course, he catches the ball and is immediately tackled. Wouldn't have made a difference if it was fourth and two and he catches and he runs the two-yard route and catches the ball and is immediately tackled. That gives you a first down. Why do you have this man running an out route a half a yard beyond the line of scrimmage? Blowing the whistle on people who can't do simple math and count to two. Blowing the whistle on Shaq Lawson. You know, we talk about the the lack of consistency we see with what's roughing the passer and what's not the hit that Shaq Lawson had for no reason in the game that by that point was not competitive. The hit that he had on Kenny Pickett, where he dove at Kenny Pickett's knee 
That is the one time this weekend I saw a play that should have been roughing the passer, and it, sh- and it was not called. So I'm blowing the whistle on the refs, too, because you can't be this inconsistent where Tom Brady cannot be laid down to the ground peacefully and put on a pillow, but Kenny Pickett can have his knee attacked with a potential career-ending type or career-altering type of hit, and you call nothing. And why are you even hitting Kenny Pickett like that in a game that at that point is already out of hand? Josh Allen's already out of the game. Why are you even doing that kind of hit? Why are you trying to take out the other team's quarterback, especially in a situation where there was no competitive advantage to do so? So I'm blowing the whistle on you being a dirty player, Shaq Lawson. you got to be better than that. And I'm glad that Kenny Pickett got up and kind of got into a bit of a scrum with him. Now, obviously, you can't fight him, but so much. But I love Kenny Pickett's reaction. I would have reacted the same way. I probably would have tried to throw an uppercut at Lawson for that. Blowing the whistle on the Arizona Cardinals front office. You just watched a couple weeks ago Matt Amendola fake. The Kansas City Chiefs would be undefeated right now if they didn't sign Matt Amendola. It's one thing if you don't know what a guy's bringing to the table. It's another thing to think, you know, because Matt Amendola wasn't good when he was kicking with the Jets previously. But it's another thing to think maybe this guy improved from a season ago. But you just watch this man fail. You just watch this man cost a team as good as the Chiefs, a game with multiple missed kicks just a few weeks ago. And what do you do? When your kicker gets hurt, you sign that same guy. There's got to be somebody else. And I know a lot of kickers have been hurt recently. But there's got to be somebody else available other than the guy who just blew a game a couple weeks ago. You go out and you get him. And what happens when you need him the most? He does exactly what he did a couple weeks ago for Kansas City. So for no other reason... You deserve to lose the game because you went out and got somebody else's trash and he turned out to be your trash. Matt Amendola, and I know, hey, credit to Justin Pugh for protecting his teammate, a guy that he just met, you know, after the game. But Matt Amendola should never kick in an NFL game again. And I'm blowing the whistle on anybody who thinks about signing Matt Amendola in the future. You've seen enough failure from him. And lastly, since we have gone to blowing the whistle in baseball, I am blowing the whistle on Buck Showalter. Yeah, your offense, your highly paid offense is getting completely shut down in an elimination do or die game by Joe Musgrove. Figure something out other than, you know, with no proof whatsoever, no evidence, no reason to to even suggest that it was possible. You ask the umpire in the middle of the game, go check him for foreign substance. Now, how about you guys step up? Okay, last I checked, that's like almost $300 million payroll. You need the umpires to bail you out? No, get some hits off of Joe Musgrove. Have your pitcher match what Joe Musgrove is doing if you can't get hits off of Chris Bassett was terrible in that game. Don't get mad at the the player who's dominating you. Don't look for bailouts. Don't look at trying to get like a, I don't know, what are you trying to do, get a forfeit or something? What did you think was going to happen there? And I love Joe Musgrove's reaction. He just went back as soon as that stupid check was done, as soon as that stupid inspection was over with, he went back to just mowing more Mets down and then gave him all kinds of looks and gestures after every out, it seemed like. And I I just love that Joe Musgrove did it. I love that Joe Musgrove flicked his ear at the fans and let him know, I don't need that to beat y'all. I'm just better than all y'all. So blowing the the, the whistle on that because that's, that's the saddest and most desperate thing I've seen in a professional game in a long, long time. Yeah, I, I'm 100% in agreeing with you. That that Buck Showalter crap that he pulled for no apparent reason, like 
Don't know if he was trying to spark his team or buy his team some time to think about how crappy they were playing on a $293 million payroll. Um, that was that was awful, especially in a playoff game. That's just that's Bush League. I don't like it. I'm not a big Buck Showalter fan because I, I follow the Orioles, you know, being from Maryland. But, um, I, you know, that was terrible. I'm also blowing the whistle. I forgot to do this. So I'm going to come back and revisit. I'm blowing the whistle on the NFL thinking – that college coaches are going to come in and save their franchise. Matt Rule is going to get $40 million because that's what's remaining on his contract because he didn't even coach seven years in the league. He barely made it through two and a half. This goes back to Nick Saban in the Dolphins. This goes back to Petrino with the Falcons. This goes back to Chip Kelly with the Eagles. Um, You know, the only... Successful college coach, really, was Pete Carroll, but he was also in the NFL before he went to USC. He had NFL experience already. It wasn't a crazy jump for him. I'm tired of seeing NFL franchises paying millions of dollars to guys who have never proven it in the NFL. You know who has proven it in the NFL? Many of your coordinators that are sitting there calling plays. Why do they not get looks? Because everyone wants the fancy, shiny, offensive juggernaut. Kingsbury, another one who has not proven himself for all the money that you've given him. (laughs) It's just terrible. I'm tired of it. Everyone wants the next Sean McVay. Everyone wants the next, you know, Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan. Guess what? Kyle Shanahan has a dad who coached so many years in the NFL. It's just I'm (laughs) blowing the whistle on it. It's terrible. I don't like it. Stop giving people dumb contracts. You don't even sign other head coaches that have been coaching in the league for 20 years, seven years, $70 million contracts. Stop it. It's ridiculous. All right. Last but not least, we will go around and start talking about a couple of things other than uh, the NFL schedule. Uh, We touched on it a bit in the blow the whistle segment, but uh, Patrick and I are in agreement on this. Uh, The best of three. Uh, wild card format for the first round of the Major League Baseball postseason debut this year and uh, just wrapped up with that game where just uh, Joe Musgrove put the Mets away. And, you know, I just have to say that that format has been a success. Uh, that experiment has gone as well as it could be. Uh, there was plenty of drama throughout each series, uh, even though three of the four were, were sweeps or mini sweeps. Uh, it was it was great. Uh, dramatic baseball throughout. It's so much better than the uh, sudden death one game type of situation where you, know, you, you ask these teams to play 162 games just, just for your whole season to come down to one game. I, I never was a fan of that. Uh, but at the same time, I do like the idea of the teams that get in comfortably having some type of advantage. So I like the idea of them moving on to the next round and not having to deal with the best of three situation, but also like the idea that a team that has spent 162 games fighting for a playoff spot doesn't get sent home after one bad day at the office, so to speak. So that was great to see. Uh, we saw the end of an era with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, they failed to make it out of the wild card round, lose their couple of games. So they're out. So that pretty much ends the career, unless something highly unforeseen happens that ends the careers for Albert Pujols, who had a magical second-half run this year. It was great to see 
great to see him get to 700 home runs. Uh, he's probably done. Uh, Yadier Molina, who has been one of the more reliable catchers, a guy who uh, him and Salvador Perez are the two catchers who would show up every day and catch, it seemed. And Yadier Molina was one of the best guys that you'll see when it comes to throwing out runners on the base path. So uh, that's another legend walking out the door for St. Louis. And, of course, Adam Wainwright, who has had plenty of excellent years as a front-of-the-rotation starter in uh, the Cardinals' pitching rotation. He's most likely done as well. Uh, they've had their moments for over the course of many, many years playing together, something you don't see in professional sports very often anymore. Uh, so, you know, farewell to all those guys. Uh, and the Cardinals, you know, they kind of have to pick up the pieces in terms of leadership, but you still have Paul Goldschmidt on that team who sh should be the National League MVP this year. Uh, you still have Nolan Arenado at third base, who is a guy who can win the Silver Slugger and Gold Glove at third base year in and year out. So you've certainly got some pieces to build on, uh, but uh, it's just going to be different in the, uh, in the St. Louis organization without those three uh, being there for the first time in <laughs> about 17, 18 years, it feels like. Uh, you, you touched on the, the collapse from the Toronto Blue Jays. That was uh, interesting and disappointing to see at the same time. I, I don't know what happened after the Blue Jays pulled Kevin Gaussman out of that game, but once they pulled him out, they couldn't pitch or hit anymore. <laughs> I mean, just, just a weird correlation there. That the whole game changed as soon as Kevin Gosman was taken out of there. And it changed right away. I mean, Kevin Gosman left the game with a couple of runners on base that he was responsible for. They came around to score. The next thing you know, uh, Kevin Gosman, who pitched a good game, uh, statistically didn't have one because the bullpen didn't pick him up. And it was just downhill from there. So uh, that was a little ugly to see from the Blue Jays' perspective. But from the perspective of the Mariners, they waited a long, long time to have a postseason appearance, so it's good to see them advance and spend more than a couple days in the postseason after their 20-year wait to get there, 20-plus years to get there. Uh, and, of course, the Cleveland Guardians come away with a win uh, in their playoff series. This is a very, very young team. I think they had double-digit players make their major league debuts this year. And one of those players was Oscar Gonzalez, who ends up hitting the series clinching home run in that series. Another great series, another fun series, another series where every starter in this series came to pitch. So uh, credit to every pitcher who started in, in this series. That's Shane Bieber, that's Shane McClanahan, that's Tristan McKenzie, and that's Tyler Glass now fresh off of Tommy John surgery, all coming in and really, really pitching very well in this series. So that was fun to see. I am very much looking forward to uh, the continuation of the baseball postseason. Uh, more dramatic series coming up. This next round is going to be very interesting, down to eight teams. Uh, I'm going to love every minute of this. So this is an extremely exciting time of the year, and I'm just glad that baseball has done something to make it even more exciting with their postseason format. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, the wild card format is, is great. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the one game play-in. Um, I actually like the fact that they don't travel back and forth for the three games. I love that whoever is the higher seed stays home, and and if you want to advance, you got to beat the home team, which the Mariners did, uh, Phillies did, and Padres did. And the only team that didn't was the Rays. Um, I'm real excited because the divisional series this round, this year, is going to be actual, literal, divisional series. Besides the Guardians and the Yankees, you have the Mariners and the Astros, 
Phillies and Braves, Padres and Dodgers. That's going to add even more heated, emotional, fired-up teams. And, you know, the MLB could not have asked for a better opening year to this new format for the playoffs because it is going to be, especially that Padres-Dodgers series, oh, man, you know, Dodgers been running that division. Padres signed all these guys hoping that, you know, they were going to start competing in the division. They really haven't. That's going to be a fun series. Uh, Mariners, the up-and-comers, you know, in their division. Uh, Astros have been running that division for many, 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 many years. Uh, So that's going to be fun. Uh, I do think the Astros are going to either sweep them or gentlemen sweep them with a 4-1 or 4-0. I just don't. I just think the pitching and the Astros are just too good. But this is the thing about playoff baseball. You have one bad pitch or one bad outing by your ace, and things can get ugly in a hurry for you. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see how the young Guardians will go up against the Yankees. Um, The Guardians pitching was outstanding in the wildcard series. So we'll see what happens they use a lot of bullpen. They use a lot of guys in that game, too, against the Rays. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, uh, the Phillies The Phillies have been hot ever since they fired Joe Girardi. Um, to see them going up against Atlanta will be fun. And so I, I just think every, I think every series in the divisional round is going to be real fun to watch. I'm really excited. Uh, NHL started, so that's going to be fun once that gets to playoff time. Basketball starts here in about two weeks. So October is real fun. And I'm excited to talk more sports as we get deeper into, uh, you know, October. As always, Julius and I appreciate y'all listening and uh, taking in what we have to say and our analysis on football and other sports-related topics. Uh, if you want to reach out to us or, or get in contact with us, as always, our handle is at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you know, on our Facebook page, we got power rankings that come out every week. We have some other, uh, Julius did, uh, quarterback rankings before the season. Um, we have lots of content on our Facebook page as well. Um, again, slide into our DMs or ask us any questions that you want to ask us. We'd be more than happy to talk about them or answer them on the podcast, uh, and, and be on the lookout for our, um, first podcast we had with a listener and a fan of the show. So that will be dropping soon as well. Um, Again, we just appreciate your guys' time and listening to to the content that we're giving you. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls Podcast.